This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome to a Tuesday edition of One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Glad to have you with us. And uh, we used to pay a whole lot more attention to this when the Bills weren't going to the playoffs. It's Senior Bowl week. You almost forgot. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, Yeah, they're down there in Mobile doing their thing, all those college prospects. And I know now they allow uh, juniors to participate. You know, if you're like a fourth-year junior, it's – you don't well, have to be a senior to be at the that, Senior Bowl anymore. Now that college football is a little bit like the Wild West, I think they kind of relax those rules because, you know, with the transfer portal and NIL and juniors coming out and, and the guys going to college for eight years now because of the 2020 thing, a lot of that going on. So, yeah, that it's, yeah, it's college football. Man. Let them do what they want. Right, so they're there. There's also the East-West Shrine game is this week. So both weeks, I mean, both uh, – College All-Star Games taking place in the same week. So East-West Shrine, I think, is in Dallas this year, I think. i got to check on that. And Senior Bowl is always in Senior uh, Bowl is in Mobile. Mobile. Um, so, yeah, prospects. The, the pre-draft process has begun. In earnest. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, Frisco, Texas. I was close. Not Dallas. It's in Frisco, Texas, the East-West Shrine game. Um, Frisco? Yep. That's that's how do you, in case you didn't know, Steve. That's the location of the Dallas Cowboys headquarters and retail complex, where they also have a twelve thousand seat stadium. Oh, that's that's right around the corner from the. That's right where the Star is. Then right, right around the corner from the Star in Austin or not Austin, Arlington. Arlington. Okay, good. Um, that. How do you decide if you're a college kid? Maybe I'm overthinking this. Maybe it's just a paycheck. Do they pay these kids? To go to these things? Yeah. No. No. Not even with NIL? It's a sh- Oh, I, well, if they have some NIL deals, I'm sure if the NIL outfit wants some exposure, they'll have their How do you decide you want to go to certain things? You want to go to the Senior Bowl or the Shrine Bowl? I think Senior Bowl is more established, isn't it? The Senior Bowl well, I don't know if it's- is bigger than... And more exposure than the East West Shrine by I think far, so, right? By far, yes. Yeah, you're on a national network, NFL Network's covering practice. For gosh sakes, I didn't get invited to any of that stuff when I was coming out. Anyways, I didn't even get invited to the combine when I when I came out. Yeah. It was like the second year of the combine, combine was existed. like brand new. Yeah, right. Eighty three, like I think, was the first year of the combine. Right. So I came out in eighty five. So yeah, a couple of years, and yeah, I had no shot at getting there. <clears throat> they, well, they probably only had like one hundred and fifty guys, not like the three hundred plus they have now. Well, now that they stretch it out over and they bring guys in on different days, they had everybody in at the same time. Oh, you know, like it was the offensive linemen and the wide receivers were rolling around in there. Wow. You know, they just you know they figured it out. Yeah, found a better method for the madness. Uh, yeah. So the pre-draft process has begun and. They're already talking up certain guys here and there, different positions. So we'll try to keep our ear to the ground and let you know if anything pops up of major significance. There are some quarterbacks there, which always draw the eyeballs. Among them, Washington's quarterback, Michael Penix. So, yeah, if anything noteworthy comes out of it, we'll be sure to pass it along. Bill's news on the day. Former Bill's defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier, is going to interview this week for the Dolphins vacant defensive coordinator position so he and Bills linebackers coach Bobby Babich 
among the candidates for that job, along with a few others. There is a new addition to the defensive coordinator pool for the Dolphins, which seems to be getting larger and larger by the day. The Athletics' Diana Rossini reporting that Ravens associate head coach and defensive line coach Anthony Weaver will interview for the Dolphins' defensive coordinator job as well. He apparently also interviewed for the Washington Commanders' head coaching job yesterday. So Anthony Weaver making the rounds. He's actually a former D-line coach for the Bills. Spent some time here. Yeah, I remember that name. I, yep. I was not in the building every day, so I didn't know right. him. We're ex- and, and with the Senior Bowl going on, we're expecting a lot of these positions to get filled because everybody's in one place. It, right. it lends to quicker back-and-forth communication, Everybody negotiation, except- all that stuff, because yeah. the Giants still haven't named a defensive coordinator, and they've interviewed like six candidates. Yeah, everybody's in the one place except you know the Niners and the Chiefs. So all the coaching staffs and scouting staffs are all down in Mobile or Dallas for the East-West Shrine game. Giants GM Joe Shane told reporters down in Mobile this morning that they'll have their new defensive coordinator named by the end of the week. Uh, Meanwhile, we go all the way around the NFL, which is presented by Collider Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. Packers are taking their time hiring a defensive coordinator. They're still conducting interviews. According to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, the Packers requested to interview Ravens secondary coach Denard Wilson for their defensive coordinator position. The Washington Commanders officials are in Detroit today to meet with Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson and Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn about their head coaching job. Seahawks officials were in Detroit yesterday. Presumably they're only interested in Ben Johnson on the Detroit staff. And then Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald is another candidate for that Seahawks job. So we'll see what comes of that. And then uh, the Chargers finalized the deal to hire Joe Hortiz as the new general manager to work with newly hired head coach Jim Harbaugh. That took place late last night. So the deal now official, and Hortiz goes from working with John Harbaugh in the Ravens organization to working with Jim Harbaugh in the Chargers organization. Yeah. I'll say this too: we I was I was reading to Brownie some of the you know all the stories flying around. Every coach, assistant coach, including the coordinator, every coach on the Ravens defensive side of the ball has been interviewed for either a head a head coaching job or a defensive coordinator job or both. They have all interviewed for different jobs around the NFL. And and you think, yeah, they had a really good defense this year. They were like number one versus against the league in scoring. I'll say this too, and one of the things that gets lost in this, say what you want about the way the the Ravens season ended and, and, you know, the the hard, the the one seed and all that. John Harbaugh in Baltimore is one of the most respected guys in the league. They run a culture there starting from the ownership all the way down through Steve Biscotti, all the way down through, and it's been with you know Ozzie Newsome and the whole crew, Eric DaCosta, Eric DaCosta Harbaugh. They've got a culture there and a way of doing business that a lot of teams are noticing as being really solid, really solid. And I think it's a nod towards Har- Harbaugh and Steve Biscotti and Ozzie and, and DaCosta. It's a real nod towards that that all these guys at the lower levels are saying, listen, we need to find somebody who knows how that works and get and pick their brain and maybe hire them uh, to see if we can get some of, you know, the stability, you know, the stability, the, the, the talent evaluation, the philosophies of doing business on a day-to-day basis. We need to tap into it. And I think that's why, at least for the Ravens, 
Now, certainly these guys can all coach, too, and I don't get me wrong. But I think that's a, another underlying factor as to why every single defensive coach of the Ravens is getting interviewed for a defensive coordinator's job or a head coaching job. Well, they were the number one defense in football this year, so you understand why. I mean, even if you don't subscribe to their long history of success, just what they did this year alone right. would be enough to garner interviews for the assistance on that a, staff. And they did it with a new defensive coordinator. Wink Martindale left just last year, right? Or maybe two years two ago. Two years ago. Two years ago. And it Mike took McDonald, yeah. Only that long to get back in the saddle as number one. According, and this might be the juiciest story of the bunch. According to reports out of Boston, the Patriots are open to trading Mac Jones for the right compensation. He apparently, there was a whole string of stories put together up there uh, by some Boston area media Mac Jones, last year, late in the year, as we know, Bailey Zappi was starting games, but Mac Jones got demoted to third string late in the season, and he found out when the inactive list came out, and he was listed as the emergency third quarterback. Like, his head coach didn't even tell him. Now, we had heard that that relationship between him and Belichick had soured, um, but, man, that's pretty bad. Um, like, your coach can't even – tell you your third string this week like come on man what are we doing well i uh, there's a uh, i don't want i I don't want to stoop to you know making jokes what are we stupid we're not making jokes i mean these are facts i know i'm I'm keeping myself from making a joke right now um yeah mac jones it i mean he this is a guy that when josh mcdaniel was his last year coordinator with the patriots and Billet, and they were kind of moving on from Brady and all of that. Mac Jones, as a rookie, got him to the playoffs. Yeah, one of the most successful rookie quarterback seasons in recent memory. Right. Like, yeah. Maybe now Stroud has changed that recently, but yes. yeah. I mean, Mac Jones looked like, okay, they were going to be able to kind of work it with him, right? And then the next year comes, and he's got... Matt Patricia. <laughs> yeah. A defensive coordinator doing calling offensive plays, and he struggles... And then this year again, he's got Bill O'Brien, and he struggles. And you know now they're going to try and trade him. Yeah, it's he. he I, if I'm if I'm Mac Jones, I can't. I'm telling him. Yeah, you can move me. I'm good. You're moving me. I am not. In fact, I won't show up. You know, get yeah. ri- cut me, or trade me, but do not ask me to put that helmet on again. Yeah. So. It's going to be very interesting, but if I'm the Patriots, you're drafting a quarterback anyway, probably, provided the board falls right for you. And Mac Jones is clearly not part of your future anymore, so you might as well move on from him. Somebody might want him as a backup. You know, you could do a lot worse than Mac Jones as a backup quarterback. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I kind of feel he was a victim of the situation. I mean, he's not blameless, don't get me wrong, but the – the deterioration of the talent on that roster was readily apparent to everybody. Yeah, the Patriots- Even if you don't have a trained eye to watch football, you <laughs> knew that that talent pool got stripped down to the studs and they were going to suck this year. Well, not only that, they were getting laughed at for the way they drafted over the last couple of years. Yeah, Sean McVay was laughing at him. In real time. In real time. He was like, oh, you they We had that guy in the fourth I round. Guess he's not, I guess Cole Strange isn't going to be there at 101. That's what he said. That's what he said. And that's like <laughs> third round. 
It was like like late in the third round, like the, at the end of the third round. Sean McVay didn't have a first round pick. He's so like he's I throwing guess he's back some pops on oh Thursday night. Oh my god! Yeah, he was drinking. They were. <laughs> he was live. But New England, New England, sitting there with the number three overall draft pick this year, and you know they had thirteen losses, two thirty five winning percentage. Oof. So and and they got a lot of fixing to do. I mean that roster needs a complete. Overhaul, complete overhaul, and they got a brand new head coach now. So they're gonna they're gonna pick one of the quarterbacks at number three. They're gonna pick one of the quarterbacks at number three. So if you're Mac you Jones, think. and if you're Mac Jones, what do you you know new head coach? And I get it too. It might be that Mac Jones likes Gerard Mayo, the new head coach. You might say, oh, now I got a chance. You know, now I got a guy that knows what he's doing. Now, you know, now I got a guy that's going to give me a chance, going to act like a football coach instead of a whatever, you know, a troll. At least I'm going to get some feedback. You know, I'm going to have an offensive coach coaching me. Yeah. Whatever he said, whatever it is, whatever, whatever Mac Jones's train of thought is, there's a new head coach. And maybe he's thinking, okay, maybe I can make this work. But man, oh, man. <laughs> Bro, just get me out of here. <laughs> it's bad. It's really, it really, really bad. looks bad from this end, from yeah. from our from where we're sitting. Right? Was, I mean, we're sitting here with Josh and all these playoff win every year and all that stuff. For a guy that oh. you drafted fifteenth overall to be your franchise quarterback, I don't know if you could have mangled it any worse than the Patriots did after year one. They they after they can't, year one, you think they can't effectively replace the offensive coordinator. They don't put proper talent around Mac Jones on the offensive line or at the skill positions. And after a year of watching him deteriorate, they doubled down and stripped it down even more. That baffled me. It's like they almost didn't even want to make it work. Yeah. You almost felt that way. Right. I, I was baffled it's, by it. Because I it, think there are some redeeming qualities to Mac Jones, where I think he could be a serviceable starting quarterback. Not a juggernaut, but I think he could be like a middle-of-the-pack starting QB. You know, for a team that just has no answer there, that guy can get you through a season, maybe win you nine games if you have a lot of talent around him, maybe ten if you get lucky. Uh, He's going to have to take a backup job somewhere next year if he gets traded. Yeah. Because of what New England did to him. I mean, they ruined him. We, we talked to some of the Boston area media. We had him on this show for the second meeting with the Patriots, and we had Bob Sochi on, the, their play-by-play broadcaster, yeah. and he said, Mac Jones is so destroyed mentally, there's no way to put him back on the field this year because he's just, I mean, he's totally wiped out. No confidence, no belief that anybody has his back in that organization. I can't believe he's not demanding a trade to get out of there. Right. He's probably hoping they just outright release him. So Oof. it's a shame yeah, the way is. that thing went. It really is. And and look, don't get me wrong. We've seen failed quarterback efforts here over the years, too. I mean, some guys that were probably good enough to have a capable starting career in this league that flamed out because you had coaching staffs that couldn't capably develop players, including the young quarterback, and then secondarily you had personnel departments that couldn't get the proper help for that quarterback, and we saw guys come in and go out and come in and go out and come in and go out because the 
the stability and the structure and the development just was not here. It's here now, thankfully, and it's part of the reason why Josh is so good. I mean, you go down, Josh, at, Josh, and his own skill set is a gigantic. You look part at of the it, names but. on there, and I get it too. They haven't; they've struggled offensively, and they haven't gotten the playoffs. They're only winning four games a year. But you go down their draft class of the last few years. Oof. There's like less than a handful of guys you can even name that you would even recognize their names, and that's after playing them twice a year. Yeah, you don't. There's nobody on those rosters that are like, oh yeah, yeah, he's on there. You know, they've got. I mean, if you can get a sixth-round pick for Mac Jones, I would do it in a second. They got because like, you've got no use yeah. for him clearly, so you may as well get some draft capital in return and try to rebuild your roster, which needs rebuilding. They've got yeah, they've just got yeah, a long way to go. And this the third pick of the draft is going to be big for them this year, and they're going to take one of the they're going to take one of the quarterbacks. It'd be interesting now. Gerard Mayo is different than Bill Belichick, but do you, you throw this guy out there right away? The quarterback, you mean, are you going to give him? Are you going to bring in a veteran that like you're going to bring Jimmy Garoppolo back to mentor this guy mm. for a, like what two games that Garoppolo will last? Garoppolo will I'm, last. I'm going to go with no, probably not. Yeah, I, it's they got a lot of fixing to do up there. It is a long road they've got to go. Yeah, a long road, uh, which doesn't really. Yeah, I mean, I can. I guess sitting here now, I can commiserate with him because we we've been there, you know, yes. too distant past. But man, oh man, it just seems insurmountable. Some of the challenges they've got. Uh, we have a Bills topic of discussion for you today because that's why we're here every day, right? So our uh, topic of discussion deals with how this offseason roster could take shape for the Bills. I think all of us are expecting a youth movement to some degree. To what degree is a big question, but the general premise of of our topic is this. How would a youth movement for the Bills roster this offseason make you feel? You can let us know at 803-0550, the number to get on board. If you can't give us a call, you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at one Bills Live. How does it make you feel? Does it make you nervous because of the inexperience? Does it get you excited because maybe it's a faster more youthful, exuberant team? Um, do you feel it'll make for a healthier roster? Because we've seen injuries nip this team in the bud several times, and I don't know this, but maybe some of their research may find it's because they had one of the older rosters in the league. Guys with a lot of miles on the tires. Can't get through a 17-game schedule. Body's just too beat up, so maybe that's a reason to get younger as well, but let us know how it grabs you. How would a youth movement for the Bills roster this offseason make you feel about the prospects for 2024? 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550. Open lines for you there. How's it grab you, Steve? Um, I, I, I'm, not, I'm okay with it. I have a lot of faith in the fact that they can pick some really good players. And, I, and I've seen, and you, you keep saying this, and I, I kind of latched onto it. Um, this McDermott and this defensive staff, they – They've maximized the guys they have. Even the young Sean, ones. Sean McDermott did it to a T in 2017 when he took the exact same roster that was a 17-year drought and got him to the playoffs in his first year. Um, certainly they backed in, but man, oh man, that's, that's maximizing some talent that you have on your roster. He got yeah. Tyrod Taylor to the playoffs, I mean, as Bill's quarterback. Uh, so I think they can do that with – younger players who are developing. This staff has been very good at getting 
guys to play better week by week by week, week over week over week, and certainly year over year. Uh, you can sometimes it takes longer with other guys. Like you can look now at like AJ Epinesa. It took him a minute, but he had his best year as a pro. Spencer Brown and I think some of these guys and I'm, I'm not I, pardon the, the expression. They were COVID babies. You know, they came in in COVID. And that year was kind of lost, and now so their third year was actually their fourth year. And they both spread their wings and are playing very well now. Guys like that. So I think Sean McDermott with young players, particularly on, as it looks like it's going to be on the defensive side, I think you can count on taking some lumps in the early in the season. But I think by the end season's end, they'll be much different players than they were at the beginning. Yeah. And I and I and I trust him, and certainly trust Brandon Bean to bring in guys that are talented enough to hold their own until they do get some experience. Well, that's the point, right? Because you've got a general manager with a proven record of bringing in capable young talent that when necessary can play early, but also because you have a coaching staff that's probably one of the best player development staffs we've seen here in Buffalo in a quarter century, you know that those players are going to get better the more they rep things with this coaching staff, and we've seen evidence of that um, year after year after year here. So knowing you've got a personnel department that knows how to identify talent and then a coaching staff that knows how to develop talent if you're going to make a youth movement, there are a lot of worse places that you could do that and not be as successful as you would anticipate the Bills being because you know what the Bills want to do. They want to remain a perennial contender. They're going to have to do it a different way this year because of their cap situation and the fact that they had one of the oldest rosters in the league. The fact that they're getting younger or will probably get younger I don't think is as daunting a challenge for the Bills because of the structure they have in place than, than it might be for other clubs that have to lean on youth to the degree that the Bills may have to this coming fall. Yeah, I would I agree. That's exactly where I'm at. I, uh, it'll be interesting to see this culture get their arms around a younger group of players who actually they, they expect to be contributors right away. Uh, they haven't been in that spot for five or six years now, right? They've had got young guys come in and, and do that. But over the last two or three years, it has been veteran guys who used to be the young guys who have kind of, you know, solidified the roster. Now that those, you know, some of the guys who were the veterans at four or five years ago are starting to age out, you know, you got to you got to do it again yeah. and refurbish. They had it. I don't think this is going to be an, a roster where every all the twenty two starters. What last year they brought back what eighteen or nineteen of them. 17 or 18 of them anyway. I think this year it's going to be, what, 13 or 14. Yeah, it'll be a lot less. I mean, we can go through them here because I think it's safe to say there's a list of positions we anticipate being younger for the Bills in 2024 than they were this past season. Defensive tackle is a big one. Uh, Will they have some free agents come back? I think that's the hope. But your free agents are Daquan Jones, Jordan Phillips, Tim Settle, Linval Joseph, and Puna Ford. You're not bringing all those guys back. As a matter of fact, I think you'd be fortunate to get Jones back, and then that might be it, depending on who's affordable. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Jordan Phillips. I think Jordan Phillips knows he thrives in this this building. Right, and he he only played for $4 million last year. That might be a doable deal. Right, so we'll see. Plus, Uh, he's coming off It'll come down to guys who want to play here if they want to, you know, and certainly they'll be able to go out and, and, and shop around. But if it's not significantly different, and they're not too sure about the culture, they don't, they, you still got to go to work every day. And if it's not going to be a place that's enjoyable to go to work, you know, just 
take the good money the bills are giving you and, and you know stay there. I would think though that that position is one that's going to get younger. Let's just yeah. say hypothetically you get Jones and Phillips back in the fold for next season. The other three guys that are coming in are probably younger players. There's probably a draft pick in there, maybe maybe two, um, with ten picks. Probably a defensive tackle up high somewhere, and then maybe one later in the draft, you know, round six or seven, where you got three and four picks. That position's getting younger. Defensive end. Your free agents are Shaq Lawson, A.J. Epinesa, and Leonard Floyd. Now, Von Miller's a long-in-the-tooth player. We know that. Um, but Kingsley Jonathan might have a bigger role next year. Greg Rousseau is a starter and only going into his fourth season. And... Who knows what you're going to add there? Maybe it's a cheap free agent on a one-year deal to fill out the roster. It's got a chance to be younger, although less so than defensive tackle because the the vacancies are fewer. Safety, that position's definitely getting younger. Oh, absolutely. Under the assumption that Micah Hyde is not back, we know his contract is up. Cam Lewis is a free agent. I would expect he comes back on an affordable deal. But what happens with Poyer? Is he a cap casualty? We don't know. But if he is, that position's getting younger. Even if you swap Rap for Poyer or Rap for Hyde, you're still getting younger. I mean, Rap's 26. Right. So that's another position that's getting younger. Wide receiver. Sherfield and Davis are the free agents. We don't know what's going to happen with Hardy. He could be a cap casualty. You know, if I had my druthers, we're drafting two receivers. You're getting younger. Right. And you've got, and you also have a couple of uh, the guy in the sh- uh, pipeline is shorter who's been walking yeah. around the building waiting. So he, and he'll be a second year player. You've got some options there. And plus, I, the, we've talked about it a ton over the years. I've always said, and I, and I still think it, if you're going to invest in bodies, you've got to invest high draft capital in the big guys up front because they're the ones that are genetically different. The ones that get further away from the ball when the ball is snapped, on when you see it, the wide receivers, the defensive backs, the running backs tight, all those guys, that, the further away you get the ball, the more athletes there are out there to choose from. You can pick a guy. You, we've seen it. You can pick a guy in the seventh round, and he turns into Antonio Brown, who is a uh, Hall of Fame-worthy guy. I mean, the guy is, knocks it out of the park. Micah Hyde and Poyer were fifth and sixth exactly. round Exactly. Those athletes, they're, if you go to the Senior Bowl. Go to the, go to the Shrine Bowl. You're neck deep in guys that can play at, because they're normal size, well, slightly bigger than normal size people. Those guys are a dime a dozen, but what goes on inside their head and what goes on inside of their chest it makes them different. And those are the guys you find, and they turn into a guy like in the sixth round turns into Tom Brady or a guy in the, you know, guy in the, you know, later rounds turns into a Hall of Fame guy, guy undrafted, you know, turns into John Randall. And goes to the Carl Hall of Fame. Carl Mecklenburg. All these guys. Round it's pick. it's end, the, the list is almost endless of guys you can find who, at positions where you play, you don't have to be 6'6", 300 plus. When you get the 6'6", 300 plus guys, those guys are rare. So you got to get them when you can. But if you've got enough, then, you know. That's where you spend it, and that's where your roster is right now for the Bills. Their offensive line is all set; it's all buttoned up and under contract. And under contract, those the guys are gold. Anyway. Those guys are. Those guys are. That's a money position there, and it's a strength. And so most of the offense is. The tight ends are all set. The running backs, and young. The running backs. I mean, let's face it. The running backs. You got James Cook, and you know that's about whoever else wants to come in and 
help him. Play a supporting role. Right. But right now, you're, you're looking for playmakers on the outside. And there's going to be a gazillion guys to choose from, whether you're drafting high or not. You got to find one who's special on the inside, is as you know, rather than as much as he is on the outside. Yeah, I mean, the only other position that could possibly get younger is cornerback. Dane well, Jackson's a free agent. Josh Norman was on the practice squad. He's 35, and we don't know what's going to happen with Tre'Davious White coming off the injury. Is he ready to play at the start of the season or not? I think that's a big if. Knowing the injury happened October 1st of last right, year. Right. That's it. So. No, just by virtue of those three things, the roster could get younger there based on who's available. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the youth movement is a very real prospect here at a number of positions. To Steve's point, less so on the offensive side than the defensive side. But the defense may get even younger than some of the insertions we already saw this season. So, you know, Terrell Bernard at middle linebacker, for example, among others. So, yeah, think about there's how a, there's a really good chance this roster yeah. gets even younger than the one we saw this year. Think about how good Terrell Terrell Bernard got from mm-hmm. week one to week and, sixteen. And for me, that's why I don't think you shy away from getting younger. You, you might be pleasantly uh, surprised. And I'll say this with too. the way this team identifies talent and develops it. You put a younger, faster guy out there as long as he's got it between the ears, and as you said in his chest, you might be even better. Yeah, they found Taron Johnson in the fourth round, for goodness sake, and he's, a, he's an elite nickel corner. He's all pro. I mean, goodness gracious. You got Matt Milano in the fifth round. I mean, I mean we've, we've talked about this week after, you know, year after year of the offseason. This is what it comes down to. You got to find guys. And the Bills, and unlike recent past, and like I said, since 2017, unlike that, they haven't had to play young guys. And now it looks like, they know this. When they pick a guy, he's going to see some action. Yeah. Got to take a break here, but you let us know. Phone lines are open. How would a youth movement for the Bills roster this offseason make you feel? 803-0550-1888-550-2550. The number to get on board here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker on a Tuesday. We'll get to the tweet sheet in a second. But first, there is some more coaching carousel news in the NFL. Steelers, according to NFL Network's Tom Pelissero, are expected to hire former Falcons head coach Arthur Smith as their offensive coordinator. He was over there interviewing, if not yesterday, on Sunday, among other candidates, and it looks like he is going to be named to the post. So... Arthur Smith, former Falcons coach, expected to be named Steelers' offensive coordinator shortly. But uh, let's get to the tweet sheet, which, as always, is brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills, where our question of the day is, how would a youth movement for the Bills roster this offseason make you feel about the 2024 campaign? And first up is Daniel on the tweet sheet, who says, anxious but excited. Building around the young core we have with hungry, energetic, athletic players could be what we need to maintain health late into the season. Force them to learn on the field. We'll probably make for some ugly games early on, but improve through the season. So that's kind of what we've been saying, Steve, but let's let's go with this exercise, okay? <laughs> let's determine 
who are those players that make up the young core? I would say anybody under age 28 probably fits into that category. I think Josh turns 28 in May, so he would be on the list. Dawson Knox is 27. Dalton Kincaid, obviously. Khalil Shakir, we'd put in the young core, right? James Cook, Spencer Brown, Osiris Torrance, Ryan Vandemark even with the development he's had. Matt Milano, Terrell Bernard. Milano's over 28. Oh, is he? Yes. All right, Terrell Bernard. Bernard, Dorian Williams maybe, you put him in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Greg Rousseau, Ed Oliver, Kingsley Jonathan, uh, Benford, and I guess you put Elam in there, even though he hasn't really hit the field yet. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. And then Tyler Bass isn't 28 yet either. That's a pretty good young core. Yeah. James Cook. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I – Absolutely. And plus, there's some guys on, you know, in the in the practice squad. I mean, I, I'm I'm really interested to see shorter, see how he plays. Uh, I think we, I can't remember the conversations you and I had about him. You know, they're talking about drafting a wide receiver. You know, we got one we haven't even seen yet in shorter. Yeah, I'm really interested round to see pick. how he's because just because we haven't heard about him or seen him or any of that stuff doesn't mean the guy's not hasn't been working. Um. He's in the building on the practice squad, and they're you know they put these guys through the ringer. Um, he's just one of them, but he's the only guy, only receiver on the practice squad. Yeah, at the and he's six four two twenty three. Well, no, that's not accurate. They had Tyrell Shavers, uh, the big tall kid. He got re-signed as a reserve futures free agent, and um, oh, Isabella on. got signed wrong, as a reserve wrong, futures uh, free agent. KJ yeah, on, Hamler sorry, got picked wrong. up. Justin Short was on IR. Yeah, he was on IR. The the uh, I'm sorry, I had the wrong list. The Brian Thompson, squad, Tyrell the practice Shavers. Squad is different. The practice squad does have Andy Isabella on it because he was elevated to Shavers and Brian Thompson. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Shavers and they is also KJ Hamler. Yeah, and Shavers is also one of those six four guys that's two eleven. Uh, rookie out of San Diego State. So they've got some guys. And remember last year we thought – when we were I remember this now. When we were standing at training camp over at St. John Fisher, Browning, all the receivers they brought in were ginormous. Remember? Yeah, Tyrell Shavers fits into that category. Shorter does. All those guys. And yeah, so they – and they, they hung around, right? So Shavers and Shorter hung around, and they're both really big dudes. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they've – Put some work in and gotten to the point where they the team needs them up on a on the roster. That's an interesting thing for me because they you you got to get better if you've been in the building for an entire year practicing and watching how guys do it, watching Steph Diggs play, watching Gabe Davis play, watching Khalil Shakir, watching James Cook and Dalton Kincaid, watching all these guys work for it and get on the roster. And you're you're in the built, you know. These guys are in the locker room every day. They're there every day, so they're they're in they're on the team. Except they're just on a different list, right? You've got to come out of this season light years ahead of where you were mentally a year ago. You've got to come back to training camp and OTAs and all that stuff. Just be a, a completely different dude. Yeah, Shakir talked about that in his season ending interview session with the media. Just talking about how much different he felt in the system. And, you know, that was a guy that as a rookie had to know all the spots. Sure. X, Y, Z. And, you know, this year when he finally did get 
significant snaps. Boy, did that kid deliver. I mean, he had the highest catch rate in the league. Um, one drop this season. I mean, yeah, that's ridiculous. That's, um, uh, I, it's really a productive player. And Shoddy's a yards after catch guy, too. It's going to be uh, an inter- really, really intriguing offseason. Really intriguing. Because, like we said, not going in, you know, in the last segment, these guys are going to. Somebody's got to be. They got to line some people up. Well, the complexion of the roster, I think, is going to change more than people are used to seeing because I think some household names are not going to be on names that people have come to recognize and expect to see on this roster year after year after year after year. Some of those people are not going to be here next year. Um, you know, as difficult as it might be. So that's just the way business works in this league. Um, time with one team can be fleeting, and some guys have been here a lot longer than even. We anticipate it, but it looks like that is going to change considerably this offseason yeah, for a number of reasons, cap, age, et cetera. And fortunately, yeah. the Bills have the internal structure, both in the personnel department and the coaching staff, to, I think, withstand that kind of turnover and get younger and still be just as successful. Yeah, and, and sitting in these two chairs here for the last couple of years, like Brownie and I have throughout this you know, McDermott era off and on, I'm I'm sure that with being at there's going to be some of these names that we have resigned ourselves to saying goodbye to. Some of them aren't going to you know they will be back. We will get some guys. There's always a surprise. It used to be when I was playing every training camp they would tell you there's always one old veteran guy that's really a surprise cut. You know, and I think nowadays it's more like there's a surprise guy that you get get, get in the off season. And um, Leonard Floyd was probably that Leonard Floyd was a huge June. one. Um, it didn't happen until June. Yeah, stuff like that happens. So I think there will be some surprises because you know we don't know really even what to expect or how the conversations behind the scene are going. But and then after the fact, we always hear like, well, we had been talking. To, you know, we knew who Rasul Douglas was for yeah. that, and we like that. You know, so all of a sudden, you know, he lands on your roster in the middle of the season. And all it's like, wow, he kills it. Um, some of that's going to happen this off season. It's going to be fun to see and. Uh, <laughs> we never get a warning, man. It just happens. Yep. There we go. 803-0550-1888-550-2550, the number to get on board. How would a youth movement for the Bills roster this offseason make you feel? Let's go to the phones. Leading us off today is Elliot in Rochester. What do you got for us, Elliot? Hey, Chris and Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I've just been doing some mock drafts and taking a look at the prospects that, <laughs> that are out there for the Bills and the big move um, that I'm looking at. Bill's got great offensive weapons with James Cook, you know, Kincaid, even Diggs. He's got a, a year left or two. Shakir's a new young weapon. I think we got to add a true X receiver. I've been looking at Brian Thomas Jr. out of LSU, maybe Xavier Leggett out of South Carolina. The guy's a real dynamic athlete. Um, old line's looking good. We got to build on that defensive line. We got to build our secondary. I mean, White's on the decline. He's got a big contract. Boyer and Hyde are on their way out. We got a lot of good young studs. Terrell Bernard showing a lot of promise. But I was just wondering if you guys were going to be at the Senior Bowl or taking a look at that. Um, but as long as we got a guy like Josh Allen, we always got a chance. I don't. I don't like to talk about a window closing. I'm feeling pretty optimistic, but. That's all I got. Thank you guys for taking my call, and I'll sit back and listen. Yeah, yeah you thanks, Elliot. I agree with you, Elliot. Yeah, the windows. I you're going to hear some of that this year. No, like, just oh, the bill- stop talking about windows. Yeah, it's, my God. As long as Josh is here and playing like he's playing, the windows wide open. But I'm, I'm we I agree with you. 
um, Brownie, you're speaking Brownie's language. I've told Brownie I'm, I have to shut him up because it's the We're not even out of receiver, January. He's tired. We of are <laughs> we should, the right. the The train horn now is about the wide receiver. The third down train horn that we always play is now the wide receiver train. So everybody's on board with it. Everybody who's I, I'm, I'm listening to the station all the time when I'm out driving around and. Every guy, everybody yeah, is on the, the wide receiver train. So here we go. Um, we're He's with got you, the Elliot. train. We were talking. And you're I right. Mean, we were all talking about it last year. I know Jeremy yes. on the morning show was talking about it last year. We were talking about it after the loss to the Bengals. I, I think it's even more readily apparent now that that's I think, what has to be addressed. I think that the thing that makes me kind of like, uh, and maybe this is a Sean McDermott veteran rookie balance thing where he didn't want he wanted to go with the veterans more than the rookies but last year they signed Trent Shurfield and Deontay Hardy and these guys Terrell Shavers and Justin Shorter couldn't make the roster ahead of those guys yeah and we feel like we need to upgrade those guys well where's that you know where's that put those that that gives you an eye uh, Brian Thompson couldn't make the roster so that gives you an idea of how far these young players we've already got on the roster have to go to get on the field so I, well, that's why I think you need more significant investment in the position, which right. to me translates to higher in the draft to get an elite talent. You need a guy that eventually can take over the number one role from Diggs. You need a talent that good who's ready to help you right away as a rookie and then in a year could assume the number one role. I mean, you need somebody that good. So that's going to require a major investment in the draft, and then you still might need another one. After that, somebody that's a field stretcher and can, you know, open up space for everybody yeah, else. In the you need a total court. you need a total skill set upgrade. You need a route runner and you need a guy that can that can strike fear into a, a DB's bailing out on this guy because he's going to get outrun. Yeah, you know, you need a, a you need a guy that can really really outrun people fast and right away, and then you need a guy that can get open and shake loose uh, on route running. And if not the same guy, you need a on your roster and you need it every day, every week, uh, every game. So, you know, I think we're all on that page and now it's just, you know, we're going through a menu of players that are going to be available. Break time for us here, but you let us know how would a youth movement for the Bills roster this offseason make you feel? 803-0550-1888-550-2550, the number to get on board. Back with more, including some tweets as well, here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. Back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And a big break for the Lions as uh, news coming down from NFL Network's Tom Pelissero that Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson has told both the Seahawks and Commanders that he is staying in Detroit. He is not going to take a head coaching job. So, boy, how do you feel if you're the Commanders and the Seahawks, Steve? You waited until the Lions were eliminated from the playoffs which only just happened on Sunday, to try to hire this guy, and he says, thank you, no. I am so interested in how those conversations went and why he is staying in Detroit. I am so interested in that. Now, maybe that maybe how about neither team has a quarterback? Right, but yeah, and maybe both teams said, you know what? Uh, maybe he's maybe he's a weirdo. I don't know. I you know I don't know Ben Johnson, but maybe he got into the room and they're like, oh, this isn't what we thought we were going to get. Maybe they did say no, or maybe you know it's him. Maybe he's saying no. I'm staying in Detroit. I mean, Drew Locke and Geno Smith in Seattle. You got Howell in Washington, who threw more interceptions than anybody. 
You want that to be your first job? No quarterback? Well, and let me see. Let's go back and look at the uh, twenty. The Washington Commanders. They picked. They got Sam second. Howell. Yeah, they could draft one. They're going to draft one. Do you want to be working with a rookie, or do you want a proven guy? Apparently, Ben Johnson. Well, you, how, how, let me ask you that. What head coaching opportunity are you going to get with a veteran franchise? Chargers. Those head coaches don't get fired. Well, Chargers. <laughs> but you don't, Jim you, Harbaugh you didn't just have landed that. one. You, you ain't that job's not open anymore. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's why he said no. Carolina, he, nobody wants. Um, that's not. A, that's not a guy. No, that's not a guy. No. But you know, D'Amico Ryan's took the Houston job, and then they drafted C.J. Stroud. That worked out well. So yeah, with the second pick, you know. Well, you got, and I'll say this too, though. I mean, if you're picking second, you're going to get the guy you want because Carolina's not. Gonna, well, yeah, you're going to get whatever guy you want. You can yeah. flip with Carolina and get the guy you want. But nevertheless. A guy like Ben John, most, and I'm not saying everyone, but most offensive coordinators and NFL coaches, particularly coordinators, have just a little bit of ego. And they're going to they're gonna look around and say, listen, I can fix that guy. Or I can coach that guy. I can, you know, I can make that guy better. I'm the guy to do it, right? Yeah. I'm surprised that he, with a number two draft pick, Unless he got in there in Washington and said, no, we're not taking a quarterback. We like Sam Howell. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you like what? what? <laughs> you're, is, excuse me, what's he? <laughs> you're going to keep that guy. Yeah, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stay with Jared Goff. Break time for us here. Uh, hour number two. More of this discussion on the Bills' perceived and possible youth movement this offseason and how that makes you feel. That and plenty more coming up in hour number two here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are, hour number two. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you on a Tuesday, and there is some news on the Bills coaching front. It is official. The Bills have promoted linebackers coach Bobby Babbage to defensive coordinator. As we know, he had been a defensive coordinator candidate with the Packers, Giants, and Dolphins the past week, but head coach McDermott has kept him on staff by naming him Buffalo's new defensive coordinator a year removed from the departure of Leslie Frazier from the staff. And uh, fast-rising coach, for sure, uh, has been here since McDermott put his original staff together when he came on as secondary coach. We know what he did with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde and grooming them to be one of the best safety tandems in the league. Then this past year, he moved to linebackers coach to replace his father, who retired. And uh, did a world of good with Terrell Bernard as his first year as a starter. Helped Tyrell Dodson get better as the season wore on this season when he was thrust into the starting lineup. So the big question now, though, Steve, is is Coach McDermott going to keep calling plays or will Bobby Babbage be entrusted with that 
responsibility, and you know we probably won't find out for a little while. You know. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I I think probably because now there's no, nothing that says Babbage was going to get another job anyway. I mean, we've seen uh, uh, you know other jobs fall through for other guys who were in the interview process. So I don't know whether Babbage had for sure an offer, uh, but. You would think if he did, you know, the leverage. Listen, I don't. I want to call. I want to call plays. If he does, you know, he could certainly make that demand. If you're going to make me the guy, I want to call the plays. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't have a problem with it. I, let him do it. Uh, and I'm sure McDermott doesn't have a problem with it either. Uh, it seemed to go really well this year with Sean McDermott calling the defenses, as you would think it would, seeing as how he cut his teeth being a defensive coordinator and got himself elevated to head coach because of his prowess as a defensive coordinator. He got the Carolina Panthers to the Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator. Um, It'll be interesting to see. And and certainly, uh, so I'm, I'm good either way. I'm, I'm okay with Babbage calling, calling the defenses. I I like it, Uh, but I also like McDermott calling them. So I think, and I think elevating him to that spot kind of, dictates that you'd give him the it would seem to be that but i don't want to assume right so we'll find out we'll find out in due course i would think um and i i think it says a lot about babbage as a as a fast rising coach when you know that there are other coaches on this defensive staff who have held coordinator posts in their past um so yes it's uh and you still have a defensive line coach position to fill and now you have a linebackers coach position to fill now you have al holcomb on the staff who was a defensive assistant this year we'll have to see maybe he fills the linebackers coaching role maybe he fills defensive line coaching role who knows Um, you can you can see how i mean when he when he got the job when he got the linebacker job um i mean immediately matt milano becomes an all pro and then the next year, Bernard becomes the linchpin of the entire defense. I mean, we were devastated when he couldn't play in the divisional round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And before that, um, in 21, you know, he was the defense was number one in the league, and he was working with Poyer and Hyde. And Poyer had his first All Pro season, um, and and Micah Hyde was second team All Pro. I mean, you go all the way back through that. This guy has every every position and everything he has done. He has excelled. And that's that's why you kind of move up through the ranks, and all of a sudden you're getting all these these interviews. So here he is. Yeah. Now I mean, he's the defensive coordinator of the Bills. I've I've talked about it probably for the last five years on what a good player development staff this is under McDermott. He's one of the main cogs in that. Aaron Cromer's a great developmental coach. Bobby Babich, I would put in that category, uh, and there's plenty of others. You know, Rob Boris has done a nice job with the tight ends. And I could run down the whole list, and I'm not going to because I'll probably leave somebody out. But Babbage, to the history that Steve just laid out in his time here, uh, has proven he can make players better and put them in positions to succeed. So congratulations to him. Um, Certainly well-deserved. He's put his time in on this staff. And uh, some people may not know exactly who he is, but trust us when we tell you he he was a fast rising coach. And if it was not promoted to this spot, somebody else would have poached him off of Buffalo staff for sure. Yeah, um, he was. He was on. He had the trajectory going, and 
the players that he has had direct contact with played their best football by far. And that turns heads in, at this level. Right. So if you want to comment on that, let us know how you feel about uh, Bobby Babich being named Bill's defensive coordinator. You can hit us up at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. Or you can weigh in on our topic of discussion today. How would a youth movement for Buffalo's roster this offseason make you feel about their prospects for 2024? 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. Wanted to get back to the tweet sheet for some more of your comments. And AB says, youth on both sides of the ball is key. Look at what names like Kyle Hamilton, Trent McDuffie, Aiden Hutchinson, Brian Branch, Puka Nakua, and Jameer Gibbs did to help drive their teams to success. Yeah, I mean, those are all playoff teams. And well, the Bills fall into that as well. I yeah. mean, you got Khalil Shakir, James Cook. Dalton Kincaid. Dalton Kincaid um, for the Bills. Um, so, yeah. But more of that would be welcome. Because um, I think you could argue that James Cook was the most dynamic athlete on the offense this year, and Dalton Kincaid and Khalil Shakir had their moments as well. So more of that, please. More of that, please. Yeah. Tim on the tweet sheet says, as long as they draft the right players, it works for me. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's, uh, wow. That's okay. An, in a nutshell. That's an oversimplification maybe, but. Yeah, we, that's the yes. You, that is the ideal. That brings scenario. us to the heart of the problem, doesn't it, Tim? <laughs> Nobody <laughs> bats a thousand in the draft, though. That's the thing. If you bat three hundred or four hundred in the draft, you're doing great. And that's why you know you get these these teams like the Chiefs and like some of the others of recent years. And you go back even to the 2012, I think it's the 2012 draft uh, and the 2013 draft. The Seahawks get four starters out of both those drafts. And they they become the Legion of Boom, and they you know they go to two straight Super Bowls. Yeah. So it's cheap la- it's one, it's cheap labor, and playing at a high level for cheap makes every, everybody else better. I mean it's 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 a huge boost. Now the Bills have done that pretty well as too. So um, you got to keep on keeping on to keep up with the Chiefs and all these other teams that are drafting that. And look at look at the other direction. Look at the Patriots. They've drafted. Poorly. Poorly, and it shows. Yeah, because they just don't have the horses. The Bills got Terrell Bernard playing. They got Benford playing. They got Cook playing. They got Kincaid playing. They got Shakir playing. Osiris Osiris Torrance is playing. All these guys. I mean, you know, so you go down the list, and they drafted Milano and – Taron Johnson, who are, Deion Dawkins. who are now Deion Dawkins. Now they got all these, you know, they got this guys to, you know, to, to line up. So um, you hit on them, you win, and that's the way. And not to mention, they also drafted a guy named Josh Ed, Allen, Ed Oliver, Taron Johnson. I mean, Greg Rousseau. Right, keep going. I mean, those are all homegrown talents. Duke of Blaisdell says, "Get younger and faster. Time is now to retool." Allen isn't getting any younger. Wide receiver is a must in the draft, if not two of them. Duke from Blaisdell's actually Chris Brown. He's drinking the from drinking the live drinking our he's one Bills live Kool Aid. Brown is get, Brownies on the sidelines with the big stick in the in the big orange cooler stirring the Kool Aid for this guy. <laughs> he, Brownies ladling it out. Everybody's yeah, I, drinking. I, it. Lap it up, people. Let's go. Lap it up. Yeah, two. Not draft. Don't just draft one high. Draft two high. 
Well, I mean, because I look at it this way, Steve. Okay, you know, if you don't like the value in round one and you got to wait till round two, that's going to hurt me a little bit. But okay, it's a deep class. But with that compensatory pick that you're anticipating you're going to get due to the free agent loss of Tremaine Edmonds, you're practically drafting in the fourth round anyway. You're at the bottom of round three. Take another swing. Get, you know, if you got your alpha dog in round one, great. Now go get your field stretcher. Now you can compartmentalize what else you need to fill a role. And yeah, yeah, I mean, get a guy that can burn it up, man. Yeah. That's your second guy. Yeah. Let's see. And uh, I, you just want to get those guys. So they're a little bit of a, like Dalton Kincaid was a little bit of a splash last year. He came in and looked fantastic from day one. Yep. When they put the pads on, helmets on, went out there and started running routes, the guy showed up big. Yeah. Um, you need some more of that and look, at a different position. I'll be the first to tell you that is much easier said than done because when you're the Bills and you're picking 28th, you're kind of a victim of circumstance in terms of everything that happens in front of you. You have very little control of what's going to be available to you when you're picking 28th. So by no means, like it's we say, hey, in an ideal world, we'd like to have this. An ideal world probably isn't happening for Brandon Bean picking 28th in the draft. It's an enormous. And I, and I totally recognize that. Right. But it doesn't mean I can't dream. It's an, yeah, it's an enormous. <laughs> there are enormous unknowns. Um, and all you can do is. And there it, are more of them when you're picking yes. that late. And it, when you get that late, it's an enormous projection. And you can do it 50 different ways if you want to. And there's going to be a ton. You know, we've heard it. There's going to be eight wide receivers in this guy that are worthy of ground, round one grades. And there isn't going to be that many teams that will take a wide receiver that high because there'll be an edge rusher or a corner or somebody else that they need bad. That, or a quarterback. That they're a quarterback. So there's going to be some guys pushed down. Uh, but you know how it is. This draft, the Bills draft 28, right? Mm-hmm. And – so they get to twenty eighth pick or twenty no they get to the twenty third pick. Wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. Well, that's what happened last year. And then it's going to be like, ah, you know, that's what happened last year. I mean, they were picking what was it twenty sixth? I want to say, and um, the run started around twenty one with yep. the Chargers. Quentin Johnston, say Flowers went in there, and there was another one that went, and so the value was. Um, the Minnesota kid went, mm-hmm. uh, the Pitt USC kid, Jordan Addison. Mm-hmm. So those three guys went bang, 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 all in right. a row. And that's why when that happened, instead of panicking, Brandon Bean just pivoted, said, all right, I'm not going to get one of the top receiver talents in the draft. I'm going to pivot and get the best pass-catching tight end in the draft. Right. And then moved up to get him, to make right. sure he got him. Um, maybe he takes a similar tack this year. But I've already seen mock drafts that have seven receivers going in round one, which would tie a record for most receivers in round right. one. That's how good this class is. And I think there's also a pretty healthy demand. The, the Chiefs are going to be picking right behind the Bills. They're going to need receiver help. It's Rasheed Rice and a bunch of guys. Right. They need to draft a receiver, and that's your chief competition. No pun intended there. I just kind of came out. Yeah. Um, but there's going to be a lot of demand, too. I mean, it's not just the Bills looking for a wideout and a premier one at and that. The Jets are talking about getting somebody on the other side of Garrett Wilson. Is that a free agent? Maybe. We, but if it's not... We are also not the only team 
who and let's this just we said it last year and we said it this year early yesterday we were talking about it we're going to be continuing to talk about it. we're in an arms race in the AFC you got these quarterbacks you got to keep up with them and you got to give the guys a chance all the weapons they need to be successful it's us and a bunch of other teams who are also looking for the same things the Bills are looking for they may have another they have to get a quarterback still or whatever but they're gonna it's the same thing. Yeah. They're on the market for the same position. It's those money spots. It's quarterback, it's wide out, it's left tackle, it's pass rusher, and it's corner. Those are the money spots, and you got to get them high in the draft because they're they're rare. Mm-hmm. And it's not just receiver where the Bills figure to get younger, which is why we're asking you today, how would a youth movement for the Bills roster this offseason make you feel? 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. Patrick on the tweet, she says, I think it's needed. New juice in the room and young talent to continually push the vets to be at the top of their game. Maybe you can speak to that, Steve. Like, what happens when new blood enters the room and it's young, premier talent? You know, like mm-hmm. Eric Mould strolls in in 96 as a first-round pick. That probably turns some heads in the receiver room. He's a, good, he's a great player right out of the gate. And, and we had a head coach in Marv Levy who he was kind of like, I don't know, you know, because I mean, he's got this Hall of Fame quarterback throwing it and he's got a Hall of Fame running back and he's got two Hall of Famers sitting there. Well, maybe not at that point. James Lofton was gone, but Andre's in the room. So you're thinking, okay, we – I we think Quinn Early was here. We're not going to turn the – you know, we're not going to turn the thing up, upside down. Um, and Eric Moltz didn't play that much. And certainly, you got to you know you got to learn the pro game, learn the offense. But I, I think some of it had to do with the the guys who are the older guys on that team, particularly like quarterback is going. Well, I don't know, you know. I'm I mean I know I can throw to Thurman and Andre. I don't know about molds yet. So he, you kind of sit there and watch. I think it was a huge mistake. The guy needed to be on the field. He really needed to be on the field. He would have been better than the other options. Certainly would have been better than you know. Me, so yeah, I think you've got to you got to let the you got to. I hate to say it, but you got to let those guys play if yeah. you can, and that's certainly you're going to. Best way gonna, to learn is to play. You're going to take some lumps in this day and age. It's the only way to learn. To my, you can't practice hard. No, you can't. You you got to get them out there. In the live game reps are absolutely critical to development. Because it's the only place you see how it's really going to be. And, you know, the problem is that counts. You know, if you lose the game, you got to live with it. It counts against you. Yeah. It's not just, you know, hey, great, we learned a lesson. I don't care. We want to win the game. You know, I don't care if you stay stupid if we win. <laughs> you know, you get to be a smarter player. That's great, but we're, it's costing us games. That's, you know, that's the balance you got to strike. And it's hard. You let us know. How would a youth movement for Bills, the Bills roster this offseason make you feel? 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. Also, if you want to weigh in on the news of Bobby Babbage being named defensive coordinator for the Bills and being retained by head coach Sean McDermott, you let us know as well. Got some open lines for you there. Jeremy on the tweet sheet says, it makes me feel great simply because we do not have a choice. Also, it will be very interesting to see what the coaching staff does with this youth movement as we will need contributions from all of our draft picks and undrafted free agents. I don't know about the undrafted free agents, although stranger things have happened. Um, but I get what you're saying, Jeremy. Um, you're anticipating a youth movement. It's not a question of if, it's a matter of when. 
and you think it's going to happen this offseason, I would tend to agree with you. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's exciting because it's new blood, greater roster turnover, and young players that you're hoping can help you now, not down the line. It, man, I'll say this. just This just occurred to me. How different a spot is it? Being here when you got Josh Allen at quarterback, you got James Cook, you got an offensive line, you got some guys that are proven. This is such a different place when you got to question more, like like questions about your roster coming into the off season than it was like you know fifteen years ago when you're in the depths of a drought, and you don't have any of that stuff. You don't have guys that are proven in the play. You don't have a, a core that you can say, you know what, it doesn't matter. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna, we're still gonna be tough to beat. Yeah. Let's you know let's refurbish on the fly. It really feels a lot different than it did, and it, and probably than it does for a lot of other teams around the league who don't have a, an elite quarterback, who don't have a really solid running game and an offensive line, a, a, an established head coach. You know, with you don't have the qu- questions about the culture you're going to have and all that stuff of a new coach coming in. And you can say what you want about the new direction, like the Commanders and the Seahawks are going to be going in, or the the Chargers with their new shiny new head coach just off a national championship in college. All that stuff going on. There's still all that stuff comes with question marks. This is such a different place, such a different place. I gotta I gotta take a minute to appreciate it. Oh yeah, because it's um, it's fun on this side of it, right? I mean, I kind of get that sense even from the tweet sheets. Like, yeah, it's, it's you know. Let's go, because I know, because I know, because everybody says in the underlying current is always this. I know we're going to win games. Let's just go. All right. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the given here, right? Nobody thinks we're going to go the way the Patriots did and go four and four and thirteen. Everybody's like, "Nah, we'll let's seventeen. We're going to win our games. Let's go. Let's see what these new players have to offer." It is a completely different set of givens in this roster in this organization. That I can't. I can't even put into words how far away that other stuff seems now well it's been seven years so it is firmly in the rearview mirror and we're all thankful for it yeah hands down let's get to the phones at 803-0550-1888-550-2550 we go to bob in orchard park what do you got for us bob hi guys uh thanks for taking my call uh first of all i'd like to uh congratulate bobby babich on his uh promotion to a uh, defensive coordinator. I've had the occasion to meet him a couple times, and I know that uh, this promotion is well-deserved. And on your youth movement uh, question, uh, historically, uh, Brandon Bean has always uh, gone with the philosophy of uh, drafting the best player available at the time that the Bills draft. But uh, with go with the place where the Bills are going to be drafting this year, it's going to be very unlikely that they're going to get any of the top draft picks at their positions that the Bills want, which was norm, uh, namely corner and uh, wide receiver and possibly safeties. So I would rather have Brandon Bean go – uh, and maybe get players that don't have quite as much potential upside as these top-name draft picks, but go with uh, a draft choice that has more uh, is more NFL-ready to step in, coming from a program, college program that uh, 
runs more of an NFL-style offense. So I'll hang up and uh, see what you guys think about yeah. that. Thank you. I appreciate the call, Bob. Um, you're arguing for higher floor players in the draft, and I understand there is value in that. But if you're doing that, you should probably do that later in the draft because that is where the athletic talent and physical gifts aren't as plentiful as they are at the top of the draft. So if you want to go hire floor players in round four, five, and six, I'll listen to that. But I'm not doing it in round one, two, and three, primarily because of the player development coaching staff you have here. You have guys on this coaching staff that can take someone with elite physical traits and make them better. We've seen it. It's proven here with this coaching staff. So you want to take higher floor players on day three? I'll listen to that so you have a better chance of having a late-round draft choice help you now, um, even though their ceiling might be a little more limited. I'll listen to that, but not not on the first two days of the yeah. draft. No way, Jose. Don't forget, Bob, and from Orchard Park, I, and, I, and I see the logic of your, of your assertion because the Bills are drafting at 28th and they're not going to get the elite guys from the college rank. But think about this. Any, any kid, even Mr. Irrelevant, the guy who's drafted 252nd overall, are going to be the top 250 players of 75,000 that play college football, plus free agents that are already in the game and, all, and you know everybody. So you're talking the top 252 guys – of 75,000 that are playing college football. So all of these guys are going to be different that way. It's, and it's where they fall within their little pool of players at the top there. That's it. So, and I, so I would say don't, don't think that when they say best player available, they're saying just the guy who's the fastest, strongest, biggest. What that means innately is he's going to, have, he's going to be whatever player that's best player available. It means he's going to have the best career as a professional, the way they project him. It doesn't mean he's the fastest, biggest, strongest. He's going to be the best player at this level. So that's what that means. And so that's – when they say best player available, it's not totally about his physical gifts and skills and his attributes. It's about their projection of what he's going to be like at the next level. Yeah. And that's – so don't get – yeah, they're still going to do that. They're going to draft the best player available. And I'll ask you this. They drafted Greg Rousseau, 30th overall. Does he have elite physical traits? Oh, yeah. 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 You can find them oh, down yeah. there. Well, that's where it's going to be. That, all these, now, you can you, find them down there at the bottom of round one. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's going to be some guys available that are going to jump off the page. Tredavious White got picked 27th. Right. I mean, You're gonna, you can gonna, find them. There are going to be some elite guys. Now, here's the thing, and, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll hyperbole this a little bit, so I'll exaggerate to make this point. Um. So you get the guys at the top of the draft that are, just to, to make a point, they're scholar-athletes, smart, full of character, have their own charity foundation, and they're 6'6", 330 pounds, run a 4'4", 40, all that stuff, right? They bench-press the house, right? There's all of the elite physical traits and the high-character stuff. They're, they're ROTC guys. They're leaders. They're like the best of the best. Yeah. And then as you drop down through, certain attributes of that start to become less common. And, they get, and by the time you get down a certain way, now you've got all the guys that have all the leadership and, and smarts and character but don't have the elite physical traits. Yeah. Or you get guys that are off the charts physically, and you just hope they're not in jail on draft day. 
That's that's the spectrum you get. You hope you, you don't even know if you'd take them home to to say you don't even know if they're in the same room you would introduce your wife and children to this guy. Right? I mean, you're just hoping he doesn't like snap. But he's got elite physical traits off the charts, right? So that's the spectrum you're working with on both ends of it. You're with a guy that, you know, you really don't really think he's got the character to be a professional athlete, but he's got these elite skills and elite physical talents, and you've got just the opposite. The guys that have everything, like the Tim Tebow's of the world, that are high-character, off-the-charts, special guys, but they can't play. So that's where you're at. Um, You've got to take all that, pack it into a snowball, and try and figure out if that snowball is going to hit the mark in the in a, at the next level. And does your and if you get a guy who's questionable in character, if he if he's had some issues in his past, maybe his fault, maybe not. Can your culture inside one Bill's drive keep him on the street? And keep him on the. In fact, help the kid make maybe blossom. Maybe it's what he needs. That kind of stuff. All of that stuff goes into the recipe of this draft, and that's where you're at. That's why they start. That's why they they grill these guys. They want to get to know who they are and what makes them tick. Yeah. And that's a big part of the process. We got to take a break here, but when we come back, we'll get back to your phone calls. John and Clarence, Alex in Kansas City, Butch in East Buffalo. We'll get to you when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back. One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker. And if you're just joining us, just wanted to uh, pass along the news that broke at the top of the hour. Bobby Babbage, Bills linebackers coach, has been promoted to defensive coordinator by head coach Sean McDermott. So if you want to react to that, feel free at 803-0550. Let us know if uh, you're pleased with the promotion, knowing he was a candidate for the Packers, Giants, and Dolphins. For their defensive coordinator positions, he had been requested for interviews by all three clubs, but he is staying put. And now the Bills may have a defensive line coach and linebackers coaching jobs to fill, uh, knowing Eric Washington moved on to Chicago and now Babbage has the D.C. role. But let's get back to the phones at 803-0550, the number to get on board. As we are asking you today, how would a youth movement for the Bills roster this offseason make you feel and we lead off this segment with john and clarence as promised what's up john hi guys thanks for taking my call sure uh boy where do you begin you know i feel like uh chevy chase in christmas vacation where he's got the that elaborate network of lights and he's trying to troubleshoot what the problem is and it turns out to be a switch in the garage yeah i know it's not quite that simple right it's not it's not that simple but uh you know, age is caught up with them, injuries, the caps. And so I have two questions for you, and then I'll hang up. Mm-hmm. The first is, where do you begin with this? I mean, obviously they're going to have to shed some players, and youth movement's going to be part of that. But where where do you begin? It's it's almost uh, impossible to, to realize how they're going to fix all these issues with one season. Well, the second question I have, the quest, second question I have is, um, at what point is coaching accountable? All right. And, you know, I'm talking about the top guy now. I, I, you got to give him credit. 
he got them to the playoffs again when it looked very dismal. All right, so you got to give him credit. And they've been to, they've won the division four years in a row, but they've never gotten past the hump. At what point does McDermott become accountable for that kind of a situation? Is he ever? Uh, how do you so think I, he's not? I'll how do you think he's and, not accountable, John? Because he's still got his job. You think the only way to be, hold him accountable is to is to fire him? So any you'd fire yeah. a head coach every thirty one teams would fire their guy every year if he didn't make it. Plus the guys who really got many, close and were like on the cusp of doing it, those are the, really the ones you fire because they're so close and they can't do it. That's 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 okay. that's football talk. That's crazy reactionary stuff. You got a team no, that is no, on the cusp and has been there. No, wait, wait, not. let me finish, John. You got a team that is on the cusp every single year after after having head coach after head coach after head coach and GM after GM after GM could never get even a wisp of it. This guy takes over the exact same team and gets that exact same roster to the playoffs when nobody else could even get a whiff of them. He gets you, not only does he get you to the playoffs, but five out of the six years you've been there, he wins a game. And you've gotten one AFC okay, championship so thing. I, now, you've got that, you've, no question, you've got a group in Kansas City that are tough to beat. But let me say, it's been three years since this team lost a game by more than a single possession any game except in the regular season now they 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 had a player die on them and they crushed them last season they gave up a double digit loss to the to the uh, Cincinnati Bengals but other than that no team has been able to even get away from these guys let alone thump them so you got a team that is okay, right so there every year and you're going to let this head coach go he'll go to another team and then he becomes an Andy Reid and he's gets the, he gets you a different quarterback, me, and he goes to the how, Super Bowl six times in a row. Right, let him talk now. Go ahead, John. All right, so you, you asked me how do you keep him accountable, and I said you, you keep him accountable by eventually letting him go. I am not suggesting you fire him. That's not what I said. What I said was, or what I asked you seriously was, at what point do you say it's no longer the player's it is the coaching system. Never. At what point never. do you say that? You never say it. It's everybody. It's two. It's it's seven. It's seven. It's like a hundred and fifty people: a head coach, a GM, an owner, a quarterback, a linebackers coach, a defensive backs coach. You've got like a hundred and fifty people in the room who are all who all have to be pulling it. They all have to hit. And sometimes you got to get lucky. Like it happens, it happens. Like San Francisco did last week, a ball right. bounces off a face mask and turns into a first and goal situation. I get on it. a fifty-one yard pass play, John. I get it. It's it's so frustrating for to, for Bills fans to sit here and say, get to this level, every, seemingly every year, and lose to the same team every single year at the level of playoffs that they're at. I, it's it's ultimately it's ultra frustrating. I get it, but you. You gotta have so much. Th- this team in this building, and like the Chiefs, and like other teams, like well, I don't know who else because it's the Chiefs and the Bills. It's Chiefs and everybody else. It's the Chiefs and everybody else, and the That's Bills. What are, it is? The Bills are the only one in the conversation because the only two teams that no, have won double digits, Cincinnati. double digit seasons uh, with double digit wins five seasons in a row. They're the only teams that win a playoff game every season. They're the only teams that that. 
on a number of different levels. They're the only teams in the conversation on a number of different levels. Now, the Chiefs have always gotten the better of the Bills in the playoffs. You can't, you can't deny it. It slaps you in the face. And, but you're, to, to, to even entertain that you should change fundamentally everything you're doing because of the, that, that last end result, when like the at last end result was, was different in every one of the three losses. Is it three or is it four? Three? Was it Houston? They lost three times to Kansas City, the once four to losses. Cincinnati. And, and the fifth one to Cincinnati. When, not the Cincinnati game because I think that's one a different One to animal. Houston. The, it's, it's like one thing in every one of those losses – that you could flip up, and it has nothing to, and none of it had to do with the head coach. Well, maybe, maybe some of you it wanna, did. Look, you want to put 2021 on the coaching? I'll listen to that. Okay, 2021 season, you want to put that on the coaching? I'll listen to that. Every other playoff loss that this team has had has been execution related. Execution related. Whether you want to go back to 2019 and talk about Duke Williams dropping a pass in the end zone, whether you want to talk about. This divisional playoff loss to the Chiefs with three drop passes on go balls that were there to be made and dropped on a dime by Josh Allen and dropped by the receiver, whatever the case might be, with the exception of 2021, execution has been the issue. They have not played well enough on that day, just like the Ravens last Sunday did not play their best game. Coaching didn't have a whole lot to do with how that and game unfolded, with the, with the possible exception of Todd Monk and their offensive coordinator not calling enough run plays. But beyond that, they were undisciplined, they did not make plays downfield, and they committed three turnovers. You didn't play well. You don't advance. And the other thing is, the Chiefs aren't just the Bills' problem. They're everybody else's problem, too. They've been, to the, they've been one of the last two teams standing in the AFC – each of the last six years and five of the last six years, they've gone to the Super or four of the last six years, they've gone for the last five years, they've gone to the Super Bowl. Cincinnati is the only team that has interrupted that in the entire AFC. So they're everybody's problem, not just the Bills' problem. And, and I'll say this you're, you asked about holding the coach accountable, and I, and I asked you, what are you going to do? And you said he still has a job. If you're going to, come with me with that you're gonna say you're firing him yeah that's why steve assumed don't think don't think that he's not being held accountable to what's going on inside the building and what and i'll say this too i came out after the game uh and i said that that coaching job that they did at the end of the uh of the chiefs game i loved it because it put that this coaching staff unlike they did in 2021 when they were in chiefs and they had the lead at the end of the game this coaching, same coach, did it completely different than they did then. They put it in the hands of the players and said, go win it. They put it in the hands of the players. They, they went deep. They did all that stuff. Whereas in 2021, they coached, they were, remember, they were coaching like not to lose. They, they, gave, they gave the Chiefs everything they wanted with three timeouts left, and they went down, kicked the field goal to send it to overtime, and they lose. It, they just didn't play. That was coaching. Now you got a coach who went through that and is not doing that. He gave his players a chance to win it on multiple occasions. Even if you want to call it the kick, going for the kick. That's, 
That's where you got to coach. That's where you got to stay as an organization. You got to give it to the players and say, go out there and do it. Because then you're looking at it and you're like going, well, you know, like the, the Baltimore Ravens, like Brownies, like they didn't, they, they ran the ball. What are they doing? They ran the ball. What are they doing? That's, that's where they're at. The Bills aren't there. There's like they dropped a pass, they fumbled the ball, or they, you know, they, they, this, 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 this. On the field, the players making plays or not making plays is where you've got to stay as a coaching staff. you got to put it on those guys to do it. That's part of having 150 people in the football operations department of your building with 53 players, however many dozen coaches, the training staff, they all right. got to be in it. You got to sooner or later. You're gonna to have to depend on that guy. You're gonna to have to depend on Khalil Shakir in a playoff game to catch a crossing route, break a tackle by Minka Fitzpatrick, and get in. You got to have guys do that, and you put it on the players. That's that's where I'm coming from. I'm an old player, and that's how you got to play. That's how you got to coach, and that's where this coaching staff, through all the crap that they've done, gone through with all the the named losses that we have, that's where you're at. They've now learned you got to put it on the. It doesn't mean you're always going to do it, but you got to put it on the players to go out and win it. And that's where they're at. And we've learned the hard lessons. Yeah. Don't now. Then, don't throw the guy overboard so he can take his lessons and leave. And now, just really quick, because you also asked about fixing the cap. It starts with Josh Allen. You can do a simple cap conversion there and save about twenty three and a half million. You're forty three over, and there are other means by which you can get some cap relief. You can cut a player after June 1st and move the money into next year. You can ask players to take a pay cut, which they've done before, and you can restructure contracts, taking base salary, putting it into bonus, which you can then amortize over the life of the contract that remains. Those are the steps that the bills will take in varying ways over the next few weeks to become cap compliant by March 13th when the free agent market opens. That does not mean they're going to be aggressive in free agency. I don't think they will. It's going to be an effort just to get cap compliant. They don't want to then just wipe that out, especially with 10 draft choices, knowing you're going to need $15 million alone for your rookie pool. So there are some hoops to jump through and some hurdles yeah. to clear, but they've done it they before. Do it. They'll do it again. And one more thing. <coughs> Excuse me. Thanks for calling in, John. I don't want to, we got into a shout. I started, I kind of lost and shouted at you, but I appreciate the call. And you're right. Um, they, everybody is held accountable, but don't think they're not just because they're, they're holding their job and because we don't hear about it. The atmosphere inside those rooms, when they go back and watch the game film, coaches will sit there and they'll, and like they've got the clicker, and they'll be running the film back and forth. And they say, this guy's, this play right here, this is a bad call. I shouldn't have made this call. We should have run the – we should have passed – we should have called A, B, C, and D play right here instead. And then they'll, they'll run it further and they say, hey, listen, you got to make this play, man. This is why we got you. We, we trust you. We're going to give you the chance to make the play. And the guys are saying, yeah, I'm going to make that play next time. They do hold each other accountable. And just because we don't, aren't in on those conversations, don't – and don't think <laughs> – don't think one Perry, Terry Pagula is sitting there – across the desk from Sean McDermott going, hey, what about it? Why'd this happen? What's going on? That's, that's what he does. That's what owners do. And that's what head coaches do for their coordinators and coordinators do for each other and yes, position coaches. They're all in it together. And part of the process is holding yourselves together, all of them, to the same standard and understanding, hey, you're not going to do it right every time, but you got to be ready to answer and take ownership when you blow it. And, you know, and, and to follow it up, certainly uh, 
everybody in this building over the years has had a chance to own up to some mistakes, and they've done it. They'll do it. Um, but this coaching staff, I'll say it again, he's not the same guy he was three years ago. And, I'm, and I think you've got to let's – I think that's a, a, a very comforting thing to think about. Break time for us here. More of your phone calls when we come back on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, back here on One Bills Live. How would a youth movement for the Bills roster this offseason make you feel? we got to get right back to the phone. Some people waiting patiently. Alex in Kansas City is next. What's up, Alex? Hey, guys. How you doing? Appreciate you taking my call. Sure. Hey, so real quick, three things. Um, one, totally on board with what you're saying, Steve, on McDermott and, um, you know, Sean Bean. And we got our guys. Like, we got our guys. We just got to get lucky on one of these, one of these playoff runs. Um, and then I was kind of curious if you guys had a chance to look at any film from the wide receivers in the upcoming class. I know you guys are saying that there's <laughs> going to be a lot of that talent, but um, yeah, yeah. You know, have you got a chance to look at any of them? And then how would you guys feel about uh, a moderate trade up to in the first round to like if we get a trade partner at like 12 or 15 and, you know, giving up, you know, next year's 2025 first round for right. something like that. Like, you know, it has to be the right deal, but want to get your guys' take on that. Yeah, I, it, it wouldn't surprise me. And I don't know if it'd get up that high because that's a big one. But you can bet Brandon Bean will get antsy. He's, he trades up regularly in the first round. I don't know how. There's I think one the, year he hasn't done it. Yeah, there's one year he has not done it. And the year he did Josh Allen, he traded up twice leading up to the draft. Well, he traded up once big time up leading up to the draft. And then he traded up again right on draft day. So uh, he'll do yeah, I it. I want to see that kind of move. <laughs> yeah, I, that kind of move. I agree guy. with you. I think it's, if it's, it's for an alpha dog, right, at wide out. I mean, I yeah. think I would, he, I'd do it. If he, if he thinks he's got a line on a guy who's dropped a little bit and there's a spot in the, in the group ahead of him, I, I don't think he can get into the teens. I don't think he can get up 12 yeah. to 10 spots. And, that's, a big, that's a big ask. But, yeah, from 28 down to, what, 24, 23? Yeah, maybe. Right. And I think having seen him operate from a position where he's at now before, we can kind of get an idea on how he usually plays this. I think he sees how the top 10 shakes out, how many quarterbacks have been taken to push other talent down the board, knowing the Bills don't need one, and then assessing what figures to be left. Um he and his personnel department are also extremely accurate in pegging needs of other teams and where they believe they are going to go with their respective picks in front of them. Now, again, when you're picking 28th, it's really hard to know how the board is going to fall in front of you, especially knowing there could be other teams trading up into those spots that are held by other teams before the draft starts. So, there is a challenge there, but I think he and his personnel department have navigated it quite well, picking as low as they have the last yeah. several years. But I think a move of three to five spots up is realistic um, from down there. More than that, you're giving up too much draft capital, and knowing the youth movement this roster has to undergo yeah. this offseason, I think he would be inclined to keep as many of his picks as he can, knowing he's going to need – that young talent to add to the roster in a lot of different places, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. 
Yeah, so it's uh, it's possible that you know they that they he does move up, and I and I'm I'm with Brownie. I, I think last year they moved. Did they move up to get Kincaid? I think they did. Yes. Right, a couple of spots. One spot. And it was to the point where I, I liked it when they when they drafted him. Some of the draft analysts were like, "Wow, if you're going to let," I remember who was Daniel Jeremiah saying. If you're going to let the Bills get Dalton Kincaid, you get what you deserve because Kincaid was a good player. So you, you're, there's still going to be players in this draft, even at 28, that Buffalo is going to be – the people are going to say, wow, he could come in and play for that team, yeah. particularly given, given the, the holes in the roster right now. You know, if, if D-line, whether it's a D lineman or a, an edge rusher or whatever or a, or a wideout like we're talking about, uh, there's going to be a guy there that people are going to say, yeah, okay, there's a guy that's going to – they're going to plug in and play. Um, hopefully that's the kind of reviews you get when you make that pick. Yeah, and to be honest, we're still – I'm just getting started on draft talent. The season just ended, so flipping the page, I'm only just getting started now. There are some guys I've seen more than others, like A.D. Mitchell at Texas. I saw a lot of him at Georgia just because I watch a lot of Georgia football, um, and I like him a lot, and I think he could be available down there at 28. Uh, and there are others that – you know, could step right in that I think they could get a 28. Uh, even if, like, the top five or six are off the board, there's still really good receiver one potential talent, you know, number one guy, maybe not right away, but by midseason could step into a role like that. So hopefully that happens. Let's quickly squeeze in Butch here before the break. What do you got for us, Butch? Gentlemen, gentlemen, thanks for t- taking my call. Steve, 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 Steve. You know I love you so much. you my brother, man, but you got to put your boxing gloves back on. I know I'm not going to be able to go two rounds with you, so I'm going to go run round and round and go to second round with you because I love you. But let me explain something to you. I'm with the last call, John. Not the last call, the call before with John. Yeah, yeah. I, understand where John I understand where John was going with that. I understand where you were going with it too, Steve. But let me just, let me just throw this out there because I'm not just a regular fan, a regular caller. I've been calling 30-some years, and this is the reason why. Back in 1978, we had a general named Bob Lustig. Bob Lustig was good friends with my family. He went to, he went to Georgia Tech. And drafted my cousin Lucius Sanford. He came and dra- drafted in the fourth round by the Buffalo Bills, 89th overall. Right. He played outside linebacker. I know this Lucius. Is Lucius is a, okay. I know Lucius Sanford. Yeah, go ahead. He's a great. He's a great. He's, he's, he's a great. He's a great. Great guy. He's yes. a good family member, and I love him. But anyway, the reason I brought that up is because what John was speaking about, which I'm going to speak about, Sean McDermott is this: when when when, when before Stu Barber took over, he, he, he even though Lucius played 16 games, he didn't record a lot of tackles at that time. But he's a hell of a player. We got players on this football team. We, you were talking about uh, 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 Brandon Bean, about drafting. We have a lot of good players. But at the same exact time, we got a coach, like you said, Steve, like I am. I'm 58 years old, retired teacher, retired military. He's old-fashioned just like you just said. He's from the old school. I'm from the old school. Sometimes with nowadays, with these new kids nowadays, they play video games. They play mad. They want to be good on it. These kids are ready to play. You have players already where we already had that Brandon Bean has caught heat for the last few years saying he did not hit on his draft picks. Yes, he did because they, they play well at other places. But we as a coach, we as a staff don't play our young players. Now we have to because of economics. Now, I'm, I'm going to go on this note. Moving forward, coming, coming with this draft and what we have already on ourselves. We have a Justin Shorter who could have helped us this year. We have a we have a Terrell Shavers who could have helped us. He's at the receiver. They was way over Sheffield. They was way over Hardy. But what we did, we went with the money over the draft picks or the free agents. This time moving forward, this is where I'm kind of disagreeing with the 
I'm not mad that the guy got promoted. I'm happy he got a, a new bag. But with the other two empty uh, coaching slots you got, you better go out there and bring in some, uh, some younger coaches in here to play with them. Let these younger kids play. These younger kids and all these other four, these last two teams in the Super Bowl have rookies and younger free agents. If you don't believe me, accept this one team, and I'm done after this, is the L.A. Rams. Take the L.A. Rams, for example, even though they're not in the Super Bowl. They have a wide receiver they drafted in the middle rounds that's, that's running that, that helped their football team all year. Only reason they could help you was they let them play. We have to let our young kids play. So when, I, when, when John, and you know I'm not saying totally agree with John, saying that was his point. But when he said sometimes a coach has to be held accountable, I understand. I'm holding uh, Sean McDermott, who I love dearly, accountable by not letting his young players play when they need them now going forward. They should have been already playing already. Yeah. I love you guys. Thank you so much, man, for taking my yeah, call. I get right. what you're saying, Butch. Yeah, I kind of hear you too, Butch. And I, and I, listen, I'm with you. I'm, I'd like to know why, and I get it. We've seen a little bit of it. Why, you know, um, Kyrie Elam isn't playing what's the deal? Because he seemed like he's a great athlete, and he was nicked up, I guess, at the end of the beginning of this year, and then maybe you don't throw him back in. But when he got out there, he, it was a roller coaster. It was two really bad plays and then a great play on the interception, right? So um, maybe that's the roller coaster you're going to have to ride. And I would think that if we're going to start playing the young players, that's more of what you get. And when you've got a team that is, you know, proven a lot and got guys that, you know, maybe it's, it's McDermott's philosophy – that when you do get these young guys in there and you're going to ride that roller coaster, he'd rather have the floor be set and ask older, more trusted players to make plays on the top end and cut off the trough of the plays like Kyrie Elam. We're watching that interception right now. Where And remember, this was a great play, but two plays before that, he had a penalty and then he had... Uh, I can't. Uh, he had two bad plays right right before the pick, so it was a roller coaster. Even in a few yeah, snaps, defensive holding and a defensive holding and a pass interference. So I get it, and I'm with you. I'm ready. I'm ready. I trust the rookies. I guess more than Sean McDermott seems to trust. Them. Well, he may have no choice next year, and he yeah, may not. It may he may not have a choice next year. Um, and I'll say, but I'll say this too: when push comes to shove, and I know I, you you mentioned Terrell Shavers and Justin Shorter. When push comes to shove, if they've got a guy they think can help them win games, there's no way they leave him on the practice squad. If he's a better option, for whatever reason, you know they're going to put him on the active roster. Don't think they won't do it just because he's a young guy. If they did it with Gabe Davis, they did it with Matt Milano, they did it with Christian Benford, they did it with a ton of guys. So I – they will. It's not like they will never do it because they do and they have. But they I think, with Kincaid this year, right? So they're gonna they're gonna be in a spot where, you know, there are certain things they look for that maybe we can't see that gets young players on the on the field here in Buffalo, and I think that's what what bothers a lot of people. The stuff they look for to get young players on the field in this coaching staff are some of the things that we don't get it privy, we aren't privy to, and that's what keeps the young guys off the field. Because sometimes when they get on the field and they make a play like Kyrie Elam did, it's like, why are he playing? Well, well, there's a lot of million reasons. Yep. Got to take a break here. When we come back, we've got a season wrap-up edition of the Maddie Awards. And here to do that is who else? Our colleague Maddie Clapp. She'll join us in studio for hour number three here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, hour number three, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, and joined in studio now by our colleague Maddie Glab for a season wrap-up edition of the Maddie Awards, presented by Energy Mark, the official energy supplier of the Buffalo Bills. Time to turn those frowns upside down, everybody. Oh, yeah. yeah. We are in the positivity business right now, guys. We are going to pump some positivity into all of you who are listening and tuning in and to Brownie and Tasker. Um, I know you guys have had a great show so far, so let's keep it going with some awards. MVP number one. This one was so easy, too easy, because you've got to give credit where credit is due. Josh Allen was Buffalo's most valuable player, and I think he also proved that he's the MVP of the league. He etched his name in more record books in year six and showed with 17 at the helm Anything is possible. He took a 6-6 and team that many doubted and steered steered the ship to five straight wins and a fourth straight AFC East title. He led the NFL with most total touchdowns at 44, most offensive yards, 4,830. Also led the league in red zone touchdowns and tied for the most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback in a single season. Uh, That was the highest number in NFL history, uh, along with Jalen Hurts there. He accounted for 86.3% of Buffalo's offensive touchdowns this season, which is the most by any player in 2017. That's literally the definition of most valuable when you account for that many touchdowns. He's also the first player in NFL history to have four straight seasons of at least 40 offensive touchdowns. I could go on and on about this guy, but I think back to several games this season when the game was on the line and how Josh Allen just kicked it into another gear. He turned into a transformer, a monster truck, a grizzly bear, whatever you want to call him, and was able to wreck opposing defense's game plans, whether it was scrambling for a first down when nobody thought it was possible, or being able to complete a pass that looked like there was no window to complete anything. And he had that scramble and that juke for that 52-yard rushing touchdown against the Steelers in the playoffs. And then he had that touchdown pass on the run to Khalil Shakir on third and goal against the Chiefs in the divisional round that gave the Bills the lead heading into the fourth quarter. Those were just a couple (laughs) plays that, you know, may have looked impossible, but with Allen, they were completely possible. I think when the lights are bright, Allen shines brighter. And people talk about this window is closing in Buffalo and yada, yada, yada. Well, the window can't close when you have 17 as your quarterback because he's going to bust right through that window (laughs) and break it down. He's the best in the league at what he does, and he deserves to be the MVP. And we are so lucky that he continues to give this team a chance at the Super Bowl every single year. Yeah, I go, uh, Maddie. I like it. Way to pound the table. Yeah, it's like a (laughs) campaign speech there. Um, That was good. I I will let you know, Maddie, and I haven't told Steve this officially, but I am officially putting an embargo on any and all window conversations on this show. One Bills Live no longer discusses window (laughs) discussions. It's off limits. It has been embargoed. I'm not doing it anymore. Just not doing it here on this show. I'm so sick of that conversation. I really am. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Uh, Matty, he he was in the conversation – you know, week one, he got off to, we got off to the rough start when he went down. He, he saw Aaron Rodgers go down the other side of the field and decided he could win the game every play. And he cost him that, that opening game. And uh, after that, 
you know, he settled in and all of a sudden just, you know, he kind of went bonkers um, for the entire season. Um, so it was – he. Word has he's not going to win the MVP, but certainly he's a finalist. He deserves to be a finalist. I think he had he had a better year than any other quarterback. And and for all the people out there who aren't Bills fans, or maybe Bills fans too, who says, "Well, he turns it over too much," I would say this: No, he doesn't. No, no, he doesn't. He got him the play. He didn't turn it over in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and that's when you know. And he he got him there with eighty two percent of the touchdowns. Yeah, this is a guy that um, he's the he's a he is the ultimate weapon in the NFL right now, and he continues to play like it. So All right. Go. So we go from one MVP award to another MVP award. I Explain. Was, I was thinking we need to give uh, a trenches MVP award because these guys, it all starts at the line of scrimmage. We hear Sean McDermott talk about it all the time. It starts up front. And the job that the offensive line did this season was just so impressive. I can't give it to just one guy. So the trenches MVP is the entire offensive line for how they helped Josh Allen operate, how they got the rushing offense going. I mean, they finished the season ranked as the seventh best rushing offense, and they ranked top five down the stretch there when they were winning game after game after game. The way that this group came together and and put the film on on display that they had game after game of this these five guys who did not miss a game together. I mean, I think back to the last few seasons and how players were in and out of the lineup at offensive line, and, and it was tough to get that chemistry going. And this season, that that was not the case. These guys were healthy. They were on the field for every single game. I mean, Deion Dawkins put one of his best seasons uh, together protecting Josh Allen and and then you think about Mitch Morse the the solid center of that def, of that offense and the dad. job that he did they call him dad for <laughs> they a reason call him dad. because yeah. he is so reliable <laughs> he's uh, such a dad <laughs> he is a dad Spencer is a Brown dad. he finally got through a healthy season and proved that he's the future of that right right tackle spot with his play Connor McGovern stepped into a new team and locked down the left guard spot and quickly found his way into this team and I don't understand why the Cowboys let him go and then there's Osiris Torrance who did not miss a snap during his rookie season I'm so impressed with his play and how he's able to pick up life in the NFL so quickly and the group is if you talk to them they talked about how how tight they became off the field and I think you saw that play out with their with their play on the field they didn't miss a beat this year and that's why they deserve the trenches MVP award and they're all gonna be back next season you think about it you can kind of think of the only time when those five guys weren't out there and it's when when uh Deion Dawkins got his hand cut in the playoff game against Pittsburgh, right? That's the only time he ever came mm-hmm. off the field. And then Vandermark goes in, and, and it, the great exchange between them where they had a touchdown drive with Vandermark at left tackle, and and uh, Dion was right there to give him a big hug. So uh, those five guys being able to stay healthy and on the, the field. Consistency. That, uh, I think that's, you know, you can count a lot of that towards the success of what the Bills offense mm-hmm. had this year. All right, so the next one up is the biggest surprise. Biggest surprise is going to Terrell Bernard. I thought that he could surprise some people with what he was going to be able to do at that Mike linebacker spot once he was named the starting linebacker on this team, but I was not expecting what we got from him. Holy moly, he turned a lot of heads. Brandon Bean and the scouting department know exactly what they're doing, and Bobby Babich knows how to coach up his players. And hey, now he's the defensive coordinator. I mean, Bernard, 
even played lights out with without Matt Milano next to him. Uh, I love that for this guy. When a lot of people doubted that he deserved the starting job, he proved that this is my job and I am not going anywhere. He finished leading the team with 143 total tackles, which is the most by a bill since 2017. Had six and a half sacks, three interceptions, three forced fumbles, nine quarterback hits, and at 6'1 and 224 pounds, do not let his size fool you because he was a complete ball hawk all season. He stepped up into a big leadership role this year, wearing the green dot, being the quarterback of that defense. And he said he had incredible growth this season, and he looks forward to becoming an even better version of himself for next year. I feel really good about the guy who's the quarterback of the defense, just with how I watched him operate on the field and and carry himself off the field. I think Buffalo's got that spot locked down for the foreseeable future with Terrell Bernard. I I would agree with you. I I think when you look at it from where we started with him and what I thought, you know, I I had doubts about him as well. I was like, man, I wonder how he's going to do. I wonder how he's going to be. Is he going to be able to – and, man, oh, man, did he absolutely exceed expectations. Mm -hmm. And, boy, boy, was he sorely missed in the playoff game against the Chiefs. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally unfortunate that that took place, but you win some, you lose some. In terms of player availability, he was available for most of the season. All right, we go from biggest surprise to most improved. Most improved is going to Khalil Shakir. In his rookie season, he had just 10 catches for around 160 receiving yards. In year two, he more than triples those numbers, 39 catches for just over 600 receiving yards. He's the most improved player for the role that he was able to earn himself within this offense. It wasn't a role that was just given to him in week one. He had to work for it. He had to earn it, and he definitely did. He's such a reliable weapon for Josh Allen. Allen could whip it on over to him, and Khalil Shakir would do what he needed to do to to get open and make the catch. He finished his second NFL season leading the league in catch rate for wide receivers at 86.7%. Josh Allen also had a passer rating of around 139 when targeting Shakir, which ranked near the top of the league for quarterback wide receiver duos. He had two really, really impressive catches, uh, touchdown catches in the postseason, that one against the Steelers where he was basically pulled to the ground, was able to spin out of it and run into the end zone for the touchdown. And, of course, that touchdown grab that he had against the Chiefs uh, in the corner of the end zone on third and goal toward the end of the game. He had to come to the ball. He had to keep his feet in bounds and make that catch as he was falling down. He was a, a fifth-round wide receiver who played way above where he was drafted, and I expect him to do a lot more of that uh, this next season. Brandon Bean called him dependable, sneaky, fast, and someone who who lays it all on the line, and I think we saw that all year. Yeah, I mean, that touchdown that he had in the playoff game against the Steelers when he got away from Minka Fitzpatrick, everybody's talking about how he got away from Fitzpatrick. Go back and watch how he shook Michael Walker, the linebacker, completely out of his shoes. Yeah. I mean, he left him like a house on the side of the road. It was such a juke like he was a frozen he gave I think I said during the game yeah. he's a frozen pizza because yeah. that's comes what he out, looked like comes what out of the call. tackle from Minka Fitzpatrick comes out and the jab move he puts right, in right there, there. <laughs> uh, that's what got him into the end zone thanks for coming and, I mean that, that, it's an elite move um, it's absolutely ba- Barry Sanders-esque. That's exactly the way Barry used to just and, the, and Walker was the same way I mean he and almost broke his ankle and uh, that was you know you had to have it he made that play, and he became a guy. You know, it. 
you think about it, it's hard to do this as a player. Be one of those guys where all the fans in the stands are, man, get find Shakir, man. You know, yeah, throw, throw, it, throw the ball to Shakir. You get a first, you get a third and six or a, you know, a second and long. Say, just get it to Shakir and get the first down, you know. A guy that uh, becomes kind of this go-to fan wish just for to get him the ball and get him get him get his first down so we can keep going. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the most encouraging thing is the fact that he came on late. Yeah. In the season. Like, it wasn't like he put this wire-to-wire season. So he came on late, and I would I would argue at the end of the year, even though the Bills lost, he was still ascending. Right. So the thought about what he could be next year is, is really encouraging in mm-hmm. light of how he finished on such a high note. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are two young guys back-to-back, Terrell Bernard, Khalil Shakir, and we've got more We're in the most promise category. The youth. Most promise, Osiris Torrance and Dalton Kincaid, a couple rookies, showed why the future is bright in Buffalo this season. Uh, these rookies played right away, and they made an impact quickly. You know, we heard from Brandon Bean after the season, and he talked about this draft is really important. We may need playing time out of these guys this season because of our, our cap space, because of where we're at. Well, these two rookies were drafted and played immediately and made an impact right away. So maybe we'll see more of that next season uh, with a new group of rookies coming in here in just a few months. So Dalton Kincaid broke the rookie receptions record uh, for the Bills, finishing with 73 catches. was also the most by a Bills tight end in a single season. Between the regular season and the playoffs, he finished with almost 780 receiving yards. Just like Shakir, he proved that he's a reliable weapon for Josh. He makes life tough for defenses with his size and his catchability. And then there's Osiris Torrance, who was thrown into a starting role right away in his first NFL season and showed that it wasn't too big for him. He's a guy who, who's tall in stature, but he's got good fan, good hands. He's light on his feet. Um, he had a f- solid first season, and it's going to be fun to see what he does coming off of his first NFL offseason because I spoke with him toward the end of the year, and I was like, can you believe it's just week 16 or or already week 16 already week 17 and you know these guys go through uh their final year in college football and they're playing 12 weeks and you Mm -hmm. hear about the rookie wall and and he said he was feeling it he was feeling it uh you know heading into that bye week and was able to get out of it and and really finish off his rookie season strong so i I can't imagine. I'm excited to see what we're going to get out of this guy uh, with some fresh legs heading into year two. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, as well, not only uh, Kincaid, but also Osiris Torrance, who, um, you know, played every snap. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You forget. We needed some guys to come in and start and play and have significant roles offensively, defensively, and they did. These two guys came in and filled that, and which and is what we're ta- we've been talking about that the whole show today about how they got to find guys who can actually get plugged in and play. Uh, they've proven they they can find those mm-hmm. guys in the draft. Yeah. All right. Next up, the biggest steal. All right, that's going to one of the defensive linemen who I thought was the biggest steal this season. This man was waiting around until early June and was signed by the Bills. The Bills are lucky to have gotten him. It's Leonard Floyd. He led the team with 10 and a half sacks, 19 quarterback hits. He was a game wrecker, made life hard for quarterbacks. He's 
31 years old, but he proved there's still a lot more left in the tank for him this season. He said that he loved playing in a defense like the Bills had because it was all about getting after the quarterback, and that's exactly what he did. The Bills finished fourth with the fourth most sacks with 54 and sixth most quarterback hits with 110, and Leonard Floyd was a big part of that. I know we didn't see as much of him at the end of the season, uh, but he was a workhorse for this defensive line and, and did a lot on the end there. Yeah, ten and a half sacks. I know he got his big old bonus mm-hmm. for getting to double digits. First player to get to double digits since Lorenzo Alexander in 2016. Yeah. When he had 12 yeah. and a half. So first guy to do that. Um, yeah, and fought through some injuries too. You know, I know his production kind of dropped off towards the end of the year. Right. He was really gutting it out with a rib injury and an ankle problem and was kind of playing hurt down the stretch right. there and into the postseason. Yeah, he was a huge, huge pickup by the Bills. Had a, a great season when the Bills really needed him to. And he was consistent. Um, he was there, showed up every week. And uh, that's really, you know, when you talk about uh, things you'd like to see out of free agent, he checks all the boxes. Production, mm-hmm. availability, and really at a time when you really needed him. Uh, timeliness. Yeah. Uh, was a, couldn't couldn't ask for a better season out of Leonard Floyd. Best comeback. Best comeback is going to our guy Demar Hamlin. Just around six months after his cardiac arrest, Demar Hamlin was back on the field in full pads, getting ready for another NFL season. He played in five games this year with a role mostly on special teams, but his comeback from having to be resuscitated on the field that night on January 2nd, to playing in an NFL game just a season later is nothing short of amazing. And all the little steps and the progress that he made along the way to get him there were just incredible. I think the most incredible part, though, is being able to to see what he's done in terms of giving back to the community, to our country, to Buffalo, to Pittsburgh. He's still the same guy with the big heart and the big smile and the great personality, but now he has an even bigger impact on our world today in the best way. I know he's up for uh, comeback player of the year. I really hope he gets that. Well, I mean, it just simply put, nobody came back further than he did. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to be funny, but good goodness gracious. Yeah. Um, what a what a story it's been, and to see him come out and be a part of the team, and and I think we've come a long way too, and it's it's kind of relieving to think about that how much we now he, we take him for granted now. Yeah, okay, Demar's here, <laughs> he's going to play. It's like right. okay, yeah. fine. Remember in the early in the season, people he was a big deal. TV well, cameras people didn't know. Yeah, people uh, TV Nobody cameras knew. were finding him. They were, they followed him. They made sure that you know they got a shot of him on all the broadcasts and now that that's all settled down and he can just be a pro football player he can be again, just another guy great. in the locker room yeah. all right best moment okay best moment it was hard to just pick one moment so i'm choosing several weeks instead <laughs> it's the run that the bills went on after their week 13 bye when they had to win out if they wanted another afc east title and if they wanted a Uh, seat at the postseason table and they did exactly that five straight wins against some big time opponents like the Chiefs the Cowboys and the Dolphins many people counted this team out and said they did not belong in the playoffs uh, this year but the Bills turned their backs to all that noise and instead they got closer as a group and tighter as a team and they were able to turn the season completely around I'm really impressed with how they were able to get into the playoffs and how they were, were able to put it together when it really mattered when they needed it most. I think it speaks to the leadership and maturity in that locker room, especially the leadership from their quarterback, Josh Allen. 
Yeah, it was uh, – you knew they had it in them to make the run, but it, you know, they had to go through the Chiefs. They had to go through the Cowboys and the Chargers. They had to go through the Patriots and the Dolphins, who the Dolphins were you know, flying high at that moment. And it just – there were so many people said – you know, and you tweeted, all the guys in the media, the local media, were like, it's over. You know, they're done. You know, they're absolutely stick a fork in them. And uh, they wouldn't have it. They put together a nice, a nice win streak – and it was really punctuated. And they got off to a good start by beating the Chiefs in Kansas City. And then what really set it up for a stretch run was the huge win over Dallas. Uh, Dallas comes in, and they were playing and winning games and uh, had their designs on winning their division, which they ultimately ended up doing. And the Bills absolutely thumped them, mm-hmm. absolutely thumped them. And I think that put the Bills back in a spot where mentally – and, and even with their fan base, uh, guys like people like us and the fans at large were like, uh, maybe they can. Maybe yeah. they can do it. Uh, best play, we're going to go around the horn this, this on this one, so we all get a crack at this one. Uh, and I guess I will go first based on the order I see it in the rundown here. So mm-hmm. I like always giving credit to the guys that don't get a lot of shine, mm-hmm. and that's usually the guys on defense or on special teams. And so I picked A.J. Epines's interception return for a touchdown against Washington all the way back in week three. We saw A.J. get his hands on passes before, batting down passes, knocking things down. And I think he set a career high in that category this season. Uh, but this was his first career interception uh, and it went for a touchdown on a pick six. I don't know if it gets better than that for a defensive lineman because they don't have a lot of interceptions in their career. And his first one of his career goes for a pick six. And it wasn't like a five-yard run to the end yeah. zone. This went for like 30-plus. Yeah. and Pretty it was cool. Like a, it was like a two-yard oh, pass, awesome. too. I mean, the guy threw it right in his grill. <laughs> and uh, and he took it in. Just and I, really cool. Yeah. If you go back, if you, if you have the NFL game pass, go back and listen to Andrew Catalan, our guy here who does the preseason games with us. And he good friend of mine. He made a great call yeah. uh, on this interception pick six. And it was uh, – it was one of those cool things where it was so unexpected at that moment because, you know, he's come, he rolls out, he's rolling to the left, and he lets it, he's, the last thing you think about is the guy right in front of him picking that off. And uh, Yeah, because he dropped on the play. Right. A.J. dropped on the play, and they triggered a linebacker, which was Milano. So he's out in the flat there in no man's land, and all of a sudden Howell's coming at him. He tries to throw it over him. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, <laughs> just didn't today. do it. It was great. It was great. That was that's a good good call, Brownie. Maddie, what's your play of the season? Okay, you said defense, so all those special teams. I cannot get that Deontay Hardy punt return touchdown out of my head. It's hard to pick one, of course, because there were so many great plays throughout the season. But Deontay Hardy's ninety-six yard punt return touchdown against Miami. They just needed something to happen in that moment because that game was a must win for the Bills if they wanted the AFC East title, if they wanted to get into the playoffs. And the Bills were down by a touchdown entering the fourth quarter. They needed a spark. Deontay Hardy was that spark. He tied the game up with that punt return touchdown. And then the Bills go on to score another touchdown later in the fourth quarter to take the lead and win the game. But Deontay Hardy's punt return touchdown, I think, is is my favorite play of the season everybody in the locker room after that thing said that was the turning point of the game it was the spark that we needed Mm -hmm. um in the most important game of the season i mean that's for the division there yeah and that that tied the game 
That and the extra point tied the game. They're down 14-7 there mm-hmm. and tied the game and we all know what happened after that. And that was that was a as a, it was a great return as well. And it was well blocked up and it, and the, it, and I think though too I, I like those plays that that have a moment like I'm, nothing against but AJ Epineza they were up twenty three to nothing at the time when he made or twenty three to seven at the time he made that pick six. This you needed it. Yeah. And I think that's always something that kind of gets lost in all these cool plays that happen. If it's a moment when you really got to yeah. have it and a guy makes a play like that. Uh, it's really special. All the stars align. Really, yeah, it's really special. Okay, my, All right, my, Tasker. My favorite one is, and people will know what one is, there's no question about it. The, <laughs> the MVP of the league, in my opinion, you're in a playoff game, uh, you're in a tussle, you got to have a play, and Josh Allen drops back to pass. Uh, the Steelers are in man coverage, and he decides he's going to run it and try and get the first down. He runs up, gets the first down. Thinks like he's gonna gonna slide or go down. It looks like he 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 wiggles and then he absolutely trucks a <laughs> linebacker and goes in uh, or a safety and he runs the rest of the way in for a fifty-two yard touchdown. A quarterback running fifty-two yards for the touchdown and trucking a guy to do it. Um, there's only one guy in the league that does that, and it's Josh. And that that the trucking play, part while running, play, yes, in a playoff <laughs> game when you're you know when things are you know, when it's a got-to-win game uh, to make a play like that. And, you know, really, this is when, you know, you can't see it in the in the highlight we're watching here, but he's got his cape fly, flying behind him. Yeah, right? he does. And, and he just came out of the phone booth. And that's a – most young people don't know what a phone booth is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the guy here. And I, so I think that was the play after the six-week run – that they were a five-week run that they had to make to get into the playoffs, mm-hmm. to get into a playoff game in Orchard Park and have your quarterback pull off a 52-yard run after trucking a guy yeah. to break free. It's like, what can get better than this? That was, that was quite a moment. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the season wrap-up edition of the Maddie Awards. Maddie, thanks for your submissions all season long. Of we enjoyed course. them. And uh, that was a good pick-me-up here at the end of the season. Mock, it ended a little sooner draft than... watches right around oh, the corner, yeah, right. <laughs> Get ready. Mock draft. Let the point, season begin. Let's go. Yeah, we'll be catching up with you, as we know, in the offseason for Mock Draft Watch. We look forward to those on buffalobills.com and right here in studio as well. We'll take a break. Steve and I back with more in a second here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And got some uh, thoughts on the tweet sheet here about how a youth movement for the Bills roster this offseason would make you feel. And uh, got some that we did not yet get to. James says it's desperately needed. I love the memories from some of our longstanding vets, but time has come for some of them to move on. And I think more and more members of this fan base are realizing that that time has come to pass and it's going to be difficult to move on from some players who really became household names for fans of this team but as they always say Steve nothing lasts forever yeah um, yes who knows more than I I mean I I lived it you know you just move on um, the guys um, there are better players waiting and you know they, they they didn't retire my jersey when I quit. They just washed it. You know, so <laughs> it's going to move on. You know, they, it's just the way it is. And that doesn't mean you know 
didn't appreciate it. It wasn't great. I mean, I, I wouldn't trade any of the stuff I did, including my retirement, for, for anything. Uh, it was fun. While, I tell people now, they say, hey, we loved watching you guys in the 90s. I said, listen, it was fun while it lasted. Um, it's a, at a point in history where you know you got to evolve to stay relevant. And this team is going to do that. And we, we did it a little bit. And I'll, I'll say this. I'll, I hadn't thought about it until today when Maddie was just in here. You know, Cyrus Torrance, Dalton Kincaid, Khalil Shakir, James Cook. This team has refurbished out on the fly, and they've kept it going. Uh, and you got to keep it going again. Yeah, you got to do it. They just keep on keeping on. And I know people get really – and we had the caller who I lost my mind today. I apologize. But <laughs> – they don't want to hear just keep on keeping on because it's it, you know it hasn't worked and people say well you keep doing the same thing expect different results that's yeah, the like, definition the reward that's the definition of insanity Not, it, nothing is the same even if if your philosophies are sound you can keep the philosophies sound and keep following them knowing that things change within those philosophies you're going to get new and different players just just like we're watching here this coming year is not going to be the same as this last year. Just like this year wasn't, even though they reached the same level of the playoffs, I mean, it's different every year. You've got to give yourself a chance to take that swing. You've got to give yourself a chance to do it. And by changing, making wholesale changes at fundamental levels, you're taking a step backwards. Yeah. Or you're you're throwing away all the good work that you've done to build a program to this point where you're there every year and you've got to be dealt with. You think that would the Chiefs rather play Baltimore or us? I think probably us. I mean, I'm all right, probably Baltimore because we we take them to the limit every single time these two teams play. Yeah. The Chiefs are like tooth and nail fighting to get there. They got Travis Kelsey throwing it sideways on a play that didn't count. I mean, that's what they're having. To, they got 13 seconds to go the distance. That's where these games go. Baltimore, they win by double digits. You know? Yeah. Nobody wants any part of this team. And you got to go into every game thinking that's where you're at. And that's where you got it. And that's and with drafts like they've been drafting and all, that's where they're going to stay. That's where they're going to stay. No. Um nobody just and I, we all do it. And I say it every year when, when the when the schedule comes out, and they do it in the morning show with Howard and Jeremy when, and and Joe. Howard picks the Bills. You go down. Okay, this is a win. That's a loss. Yeah, that's a win. That's a, nobody is putting a W next to Buffalo. Nobody. Well, some misguided Dolphins fans are. Man, do we do we hope they pay Tua or or what? That would be great. They got they got to give Tua the bank, man. He is their answer. Go, yeah. do it. Uh, wanted to get to this comment on the tweet sheet from Brian. He said, "I'm in favor of involving rookies and more contribution from those on rookie deals." Exampled by Bernard and Kincaid, among others. So, my question to you is this, Steve: Do you think the success of young first year starters like Bernard and Kincaid? will further convince head coach Sean McDermott to trust youth in important I, roles. I, yeah, I'm not going to – you can't generalize because I don't think he does. I don't think Sean McDermott it's case does. case-by-case basis. I think every player is different, every situation different, every p- position group is different. You expect, you expect something from a, each position, each guy. Say, listen, you got to prove this to me as a head coach. And the guy goes out and he does it. And then Gabe Davis on opening day – 
and and I'll I'll keep going back to it. I think it's 2020 for Gabe Davis was his first year. Yep. So Gabe Davis 2020, and I was doing the radio analyst job because nobody could travel. We were doing the COVID thing, and Gabe Davis catches the first pass of the season from anybody of anybody. It's not Diggs. It's not anybody. It's Gabe Davis as a rookie in his first game catches the first pass from Josh Allen in that season. That season when they when the whole team busted out. So. It's, I don't think Sean McDermott will not play young players, but I do think those young players do have to prove some things that veteran players already have proven. Yeah. Break time for us here. Steve and I close it up with some final thoughts on the tweet sheet here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, some final thoughts on the tweet sheet in terms of how a youth movement for the Bills roster this offseason would make you feel if it happened. Steve says, smart. Still have Allen, Diggs, Cook, Shakir, both tight ends, and the entire O-line. Oliver, Rousseau, Bernard, Douglas, Benford, um, Miller, hopefully better, maybe Poyer. Core is playoff caliber. Play rookies, sign cheaper veteran free agents, Still can win the AFC East and the AFC. Cap will be good in 25. Go for it. It's a comprehensive look at it. Listen, they go for it every year. That's the whole yeah. beauty of this whole culture. You know, with Josh in place and being – they're going for it every year. They got, the, they got the horses to get there every year, and they're going to go. And they got to put something together to support the, the star players on this squad. They got a really good offensive side of the ball. It seems stable and ready to go for the next year or so. Let's see what we can do with the other side of the football and, and take a swing at it. I, they're going to be there. I, I mean, that it's the, the division's not off the table again. They're, they're going to be loaded again. And Josh and this offense coming back is going to give them a chance in every game. It's going to give them a chance in every game. Yep. Uh, even now, from this end of it, no matter how much better they get with the draft and free agency. Danny says, confident in the future. As long as we have Josh Allen and Bean hits in the draft like he usually does with young dogs, we will be fine. That's all we need. Draft picks to hit. Then we get younger, cheaper, and better for years to come. That is the plan. Uh, the turnover might be a little bit more extensive than we've seen in the past, but that should mean more opportunity for that young talent that's being added to the roster, hopefully yeah. in the draft. It's going to be a fun offseason. It's going to be fun to, to watch and to think about, and uh, it's going to be up for grabs. It'll be fun. Hope you enjoyed another three-hour edition. We're back to our regular schedule tomorrow. We'll see you at 1.